All right. Hello. Welcome to Stop Questioning Everything, the official Drug Receipts podcast. Uh, we're the brand at the convergence of art and technology, bridging the gap between IRL and URL. Um, we promote the pillars of art and subversion, science and skepticism, community and sport. I'm your host, Arlo Eisenberg. I'm a co-founder of Drug Receipts. I'm the artist behind the collection. Uh, today is June 9th. 2022 in America, and it's already June 10th in New Zealand. We have a lot on the slate today. We've got two very special guests from Melt Interactive. We've got Josh Valenzuela and Morgan Lavery. Uh, we are looking forward to having some really interesting conversation with them about um, 3D animation, uh, the future of creativity in the metaverse. We've got a lot of updates. We'll bring Jesse on for our routine checkup. Um, and we've also got some uh, skeptical content at the end of the show. Um, we don't want to neglect that. So we have made a point to get some skeptical content added here. And we're going to talk about seekers, a lot of exciting stuff. If you're listening on an audio podcast, we always point out that you should, we encourage you to check out the YouTube broadcast because we do provide a lot of visual content. Uh, but Today, it's even more important because Melt Interactive is a 3D animation studio. They, pr they produce visual content. So we're going to be looking at a lot of stuff uh, and sharing a lot of stuff here on our YouTube broadcast. Uh, so we will do our best to talk you through it and we will explain and describe what we are looking at. But if you really want the best experience, we absolutely encourage you to watch the, uh, the YouTube feed. And you can see that on Drug Receipts on our channel on YouTube. Um, Cool. So yeah, so the big news is uh, we just had the reveal of the Seeker skins with uh, the Drug Receipts RX pattern on it, and ju it just looked amazing. We had a, a bit of a teaser campaign leading up to it, um, but you know we're going to go ahead and lead here with kind of, this is our headline, this is our big lead-in. Uh, we want to share with you kind of what this looks like because it's just so snug and cool. Um, Joellen, if, if you can, let's go ahead and bring up uh, the animation of the Seeker with the RX skin. All right, so that was that was actually doubly cool because not only does it have the RX pattern for the skin, it's also got another one of the traits that's available in the Seekers collection, which is uh, a drug receipt sticker. There's actually two separate stickers um, that are different traits within the collection. Uh, that Seeker, if we can bring up an image of it real quick, we'll just point this out. It's got a rainbow cap. You can see there on the right side of the screen, uh, there's a sticker on the skin, and that is that's our cap character carrying a knapsack um, with the rainbow, uh, the rainbow coloring uh, on the capsule. So that's actually two different drug receipts traits that are featured in the collection. It's the RX pattern skin, it's also got the sticker on it. And there's a different sticker that you can find. It's a separate trait, which is of tabby. So really, really cool collaboration there between drug receipts and um, the seekers. And we'll talk a lot more about that. Uh, but the first group of guests that I wanted to bring up, actually, they've done some work with the seekers. Uh, they've actually done a lot of work with uh, non-fungible apps projects and in the Fluff ecosystem in particular. And we've been lucky to partner with them on a few projects as well and some things coming down the pipeline. Uh, Melt Interactive, um, they're a turnkey visual production house. They're based out of Las Vegas, Nevada. Uh, sorry, based out of Las Vegas, Nevada. Um, and, uh, you know, they deliver one-of-a-kind NFTs and 3D environments and live experiences. So... 
before we bring them on, let's take a look at a, a brief reel of some of their work uh, from Melt Interactive, and then we will get to know uh, and we will we will bring in Josh and Morgan. Hey guys. Hi Morgan. Hi Josh. Hey, so that hey, video is really cool. Josh, I know you were telling me that thing is even a few years old by now. I have a feeling if you did a reel now, it would have a whole lot of fluff and non-fungible lab stuff in it. Is that right? Yeah, I mean that thing that thing's pretty ancient. Uh we've been we've been working on putting putting a new one together. Uh you know, we we end up neglecting some of that stuff, like our, our reels and our social media and stuff, just because the like we don't really get most of our business from like our website and from from that stuff. Most of it just kind of comes to us, which uh, <laughs> unfortunately makes it so that we neglect that sometimes. But we have been working on putting together new stuff, and yes, that would include a lot of NFT related content, Web three stuff in general, metaverse, etc., um, and more. Also, like packs that we've done for artists and stuff recently. What do you mean packs? Tell me a little bit more about that. Sure. Uh, Morgan, you can, you can take that one. Yeah. So, yeah. So, you know, for the last 10 years, Melt Interactive has basically been working with DJs and brands and music festivals to create one of a kind uh, shows on their LED walls and their projectors. So we started by working with DJs and a variety of arena shows and music festivals. And so what a pack is, is it's basically a, collection of videos that we create that can be triggered live during a show. So we'll have like a variety of background layers, a variety of overlay layers, and something like we, we like to call a trigger layer. So when you're seeing your favorite artist perform, um, for example, we did a bunch of stuff with Marcus Schultz and his worldwide trance tour with Ferry Corsten, we would create a variety of 3D animations in packs that could then be wow. distributed worldwide so that if you know one of our melt vjs weren't there they could mix that live so a big part of what we've been able to do is for the last 10 years create content what we call the non-traditional aspect ratio uh, because a lot of people are creating for broadcast and are creating for 16 by 9 but what really makes us uh really fierce and very competitive especially in the metaverse uh, space is we're already used to creating content in a variety of different aspect ratios and that's what I was going to ask about, because, you know, knowing your background, you guys coming from the live events and these, doing these artist packs like you talk about, but basically you're creating almost a virtual experience, but in a live event venue. Um, so talk about the, the transition from that to now what you're doing with all this work in the, you know, for Web3 and in the metaverse. Sounds like a kind of a natural transition. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, it's it's been a really interesting uh journey for us like it's it started with covid i would say um you know, we were we were always creating digital content right uh but a lot of the digital content was for use in the real world so like morgan just mentioned whether it was creating like a tour pack for the Goo, Goo dolls for their like uh for their us tour or like designing stages or whatever everything we were doing digitally was meant to kind of like uh then transition to the real world and then during covid that like shut everything down really like we we had the option of kind of like either just shutting down and firing everybody or 
like figuring something else out. And so we decided to just hunker down. We kept our studio open. We had a massive studio. And fortunately, we had every software known to man. So we just started playing with stuff. We got uh, really deep into Unreal Engine. And once we realized COVID uh, was not going away in three months, like they told us it was going to, uh, we were like, dude, let's let's figure something out, right? So we came up with this idea to make a virtual arena venue um, based in, made in Unreal Engine with the idea being like not, not so corny like a lot of people were seeing during the time and not like so video gamey like uh, Fortnite was doing and all that. Um, you know, we worked really, really hard on that. That ended up helping us get picked up by, uh, we, we started pitching it once we created a demo for it. And then we did like a live demo with Cascade. And then we ended up getting a runway and creating a, a company called Immersive Entertainment to actually build this thing out. The problem was we were finding a lot of trouble getting interest for it at the time. Cause we're talking like end of 2019, beginning of 2020 is when we were building a lot of this out. So like the word metaverse, existed obviously but like nobody like if i would have said metaverse to somebody at that time they would they have no idea what we're talking about so getting big money to invest into it um was was really difficult because everybody was like this thing's gonna pass by nobody wants to be in vr nobody wants to like watch a virtual show um so we ended up switching gears we kind of shelved the arena idea and then moved into nfts and uh we took some of the stuff we were working on uh there's like a technology called volumetric capture and so we took that and we're like let's make avatar nfts of people and then you know to, to make that story a little bit shorter that ended up just launching us into uh into web3 fully uh and just designing nfts and then working on metaverse stuff later in that year and that ended up uh leading us to where we are now you guys talked about right the the transition from the the live venue content y'all are creating kind of to the more nft space but where did you get where did you specifically get the attention of non-fungible labs how did that relationship begin so we met non-fungible labs through a, a a one of our partners called mark shays mark has worked with brooke uh for a very long time and and we were already getting a lot of press you know that i know mark shays no uh, i do not yeah, yeah. He's, so he's one of our business partners. Yeah. Okay. But just so you know, because this is a, a recurring theme that goes through, you know, everything that we touch, but the three founding partners of drug receipts, we all know each other. Do you, I mean, this is a pop quiz. Do you guys know how we know each other? <laughs> uh, Mark Chase? I nope. thought it was through, uh, I thought it was through X, like, uh, wasn't it through like X games or through professional bingo? Uh, yes. Blading? Yeah, we yeah. all used to be professional rollerbladers, right? So we yeah. competed yeah. in the X games, that kind of stuff. Mark Shays was also a professional rollerblader. So we all know each other from <laughs> decades ago. We all skated together. I lived in the same house with a half pipe in the backyard with Mark Shays. So Mark and Brooke and I, we all go way back. And Tyler, I mean, we all have that rollerblading connection. So not to, to completely derail the train of thought here, but just so you know, when you mentioned Mark Shays, there, there is some history there. Well, it actually makes perfect sense because I've known Mark Chase for a decade because we've been building Burning Man camps together, right? Wow. And so every year I would bring out a very large stage production to Burning Man. And so Mark Chase always saw me as kind of the cutting edge guy that was kind of taking all of my industry contacts in the real world and bringing them to Burning Man to really make some like next level stuff. 
So what was interesting is, you know, when Josh and I were working with uh, Immersive and we were working with Volumetric Capture, we were already getting a ton of different press. For example, we were featured on 60 Minutes, uh, which was like the co-metaverse NFT episode with Beeple. Um, and really our main focus here was trying to utilize these types of technologies in these 3D environments to look photorealistic, which is why we're using Volumetric Capture, et cetera. So, mm. you know, we started in the era of fluff world and the entire you know non-fungible labs universe just because not only were we a different type of design studio but the way that we approach things and our level of production and our level of aesthetic really matched i think what you guys have uh prepared in the long run things like fifth future verse etc yeah i mean it, it it was a really wild story because like we were approaching um, non-fungible labs originally with a with a PFP project of our own, a, a 3D character project that we were working on, uh, that we're still working on. It's just been a, it's it's we we focused we switched our focus a little bit from it for the moment. But we were showing them this like Fox based uh, PFP project that we were working on, and they were like, "Well, we love it. It looks really great, but like right now we need something different. Right now we need to like throw a show." And we were like, "Well, um, one of our business partners, uh, David." owns one of the one of the best like events production companies in the nation uh, called Deed Entertainment. And that's just what we do. We throw massive events. So we ended up throwing, uh, helping produce, we, we create like on a phone call, we like created the Fluffhouse uh, brand and came up with this idea that we we're gonna do Art Basel in like six weeks, which is unheard of. Wow. And we threw the sickest event. Like I would I would say one of the one of the dopest events uh, there and um mark shays was it was heavily important in that in, as well uh but th through that we then decided hey this was really cool we can build this out so morgan and i were working mostly just on helping getting all the video running all the you know led walls getting the content up there and stuff like that so we would show up and just uh, morgan especially would be running most of that and then came south by southwest and leading up to south by southwest uh they wanted to do these huge domes. So they did three domes and I'm sure most of the people watching and obviously, you know, um, but they didn't really have dome content like prepared, right? They had some ads prepared that they had made that were, looked good on like a TV, but like they didn't have anything that was for like Morgan mentioned earlier, that non-traditional pixel space. So they ended up like, we ended up getting like, I think like 35 pieces of content done in like a week and a half, like a little less than two weeks. And we just like worked the weekends, we were working overnights and we got a ton of 3D content made using non-fungible labs assets. So using the thingies and the bears and uh, fluffs. And then obviously like drug receipts, uh, we did some animations for. Um, and they just loved everything we made so much that after that they were like, hey, like anytime we need support on doing stuff, we're gonna like, we would love for you guys to be kind of like a preferred vendor type idea for it, right? Obviously they have their own teams. They make a lot of their own stuff. We've just kind of been there as like a, hey, you need some extra hands on here. We can definitely help. So it's been it's been really cool. We love we love working with, with their team. That's really cool. So it, as it happens, we actually have the South by Southwest, uh, South by Southwest recap video. Um, we can go ahead and take a look at that, Joellen. But as we bring it up, I'd like to encourage our viewers, you know, when you watch this now, you know, knowing what Josh and Morgan have told us, uh, pay attention to what's going on with the domes in these videos because they feature prominently. And you'll also notice some drug receipts animations in the video. It's really cool stuff. But let's go ahead and take a look at that video.
super cool. They, uh, I think it's I'm also important guessing. to note before before we move on from that yeah. that Morgan was also live controlling the visuals. So he was like he was oh. the one actually at the video board VJing. Uh, so he got to VJ for Dylan Francis and and wow. Miha and everybody while they were while they were performing, which was which was really cool. That was that's super sick. And you know, I was lucky to be there. So just being in that environment, like the the immersive experience with the music and like just being completely surrounded. And especially, you know, I'm a little biased, but when it, you know, was drug receipts animated up there, I mean, it was just such a like, you know, like a profound moving experience. Um, speaking of, actually, we have a couple of just short clips um, that focus a little bit on some of the drug receipts animation that you guys did. But uh, let's go ahead and take a look at those, Joel. <laughs> It's just a little clip, but yeah. you know, it's cool. Yeah. Yeah. Very, one thing I like to mention too is, you know, all, all the artists that we were working with, I mean, Young and Sick is a perfect example, right? Young and Sick yeah. came to us with a variety of artwork even before the show. And what was really great about the domes is that this 360 perspective really allows for us to kind of immerse the audience in a variety of different ways, whether it's like a 3D environment or it's with, you know, the all stars all around, right? Or the drug receipts guys kind of prancing around. The border um what was really great though is like we were able to create really dynamic looks regardless of the artists that we were working with and and really our, our focus with with fluff house south by southwest was kind of giving every single brand and every single uh nft series and every single artist like a very different look in terms of it if it was a you know a 3d world or if it was just you know graphics on graphics on graphics so it was super fun yeah well Talking about the the different brands and you know like finding different ways to present the different brands, uh, one brand in particular that we want to talk about that is topical for us right now is the Seekers. Uh, I guess it's just topical in general because they released their collection now, so they are out there, um, and it's been a huge hit. And everybody's loved seeing the the reveals. They're just they just look so um, snug and cool. Uh, but you guys did work with the Seekers also specifically. Can you tell me a little bit more about what that involvement was like? Yeah, totally. I, I love Seekers. I probably spend the most time uh, of all the different projects I'm involved in. Uh, I spend them probably the most time in their in their Discord. Um, I, I for the longest time I used to video game stream, and my moniker was Starscream. So I just love robots. So the Seekers immediately spoke to me. But what we the originally the first thing we did with the Seekers was we uh, we helped with a trailer video, and then getting some Seeker animations ready for the domes as well. But that was like pretty minimal. But the seeker we did like the initial seeker video where like where it was like just really quick cuts they basically gave us a seekers model and we're like hey can you and there were there weren't any animations made for it yet can you make a couple animations make them fly around and here's like a storyboard and so we got to put that together and that was really fun and one of the first things i noticed and i i like i stand for them pretty pretty hard uh but the one of the first things i noticed is when we pulled it in all of our animators were like wow this like this character rig is so well put together right there are so many different like points of articulation it was just such a a well thought out and put together model and and keep in mind we see models like all day every day that come in from other people like hey can you make my guy move and stuff and when we got the seeker we were just mega stoked on it and their team was just so nice to work with they're super super cool guys and like you know i can't say enough nice things about them but that was the first thing we did then we ended up uh helping with the with the reveal portion now i like i want to be clear like we didn't participate in making the seekers right at all that's all them 
Um, we supported with making uh, a lot of the backpack items we made. I don't know the exact number, but we made a, a, a large amount of them. Um, and so that was really cool working in there. We, we had to like go around like working with their specific setup for uh, they had a really cool, sophisticated setup for those backpack items. But um, it was really fun getting to put those together. Uh, I've been looking for a melt light bulb forever, but none of them are for sale or they're like for ETH. So I haven't I haven't been fortunate to get one yet, but there's a melt light bulb in there, uh, which is which is really cool. And then we ended up just putting together a really short that that short trailer they did the pre reveal where it does like a spin and it's just going through all the different assets. Um, uh, we we threw that together uh, for them for them pretty quickly so they could have something Wait, cool. Hold on, Josh, because you you mentioned the the melt light bulb and I know that there's an, an interesting story around that and like how the community found that. You know, you guys I think it just put it in there, <laughs> not even thinking about it. Really, it's just sort of a little inside joke. Tell me about that, dude. Our our animator our animators were making bets and one of them was like don't put it in there because like we don't want people to like see it and they're like there's no way they're gonna see it we went through like 60 backpack items in one little spin and the community went through and paused every single frame and somehow saw this like super blurry bulb and then did like that uh that's uh csi enhance enhance and we're like oh <laughs> yeah, i think it's just yeah, melt on it and then like found our twitter that we hadn't posted to in like two years or like i think it's these guys and we that's when we were like oh crap we really need to update our stuff never <laughs> underestimate yeah, the power of these communities right to sniff something out yeah. Yeah, yeah especially the fluff community i would say for sure well guys i think that we have actually the the promo video that you referred to and if i understand correctly you're saying this is basically like the first animated reveal of the seekers right the first sort of animated content I believe so. Now they've also made a few other trailers that they did for some of the uh, partnerships that they had that, that we didn't make. Uh, so they've made some without us, but I think that was the first one. I could be wrong, but I think it was the first one they released that had them animated and moving around. Cool. We'll go with that. Let's let's take a look at it. Yeah, and actually that's an that's an old version oops uh but that we actually re we redid the audio on it uh with a with a different song there's actually a um a fluff uh sound i think one of the one of the fluff songs is actually was used oh. on it i believe uh but yeah that's that's a general it's a general gist of it we had like two days to make it so we just had we just threw something together as fast as humanly possible but yeah it we, makes we sense it. so super cool uh you know, another thing that's kind of topical along with the Seekers, something else that's kind of has been all the talk across uh, Twitter and across the uh, the Fluff and Non-Fungible Labs ecosystem, but has been the release of this white paper, right, about the Futureverse. Um, and the Seekers, you know, they feature fairly prominent in it insofar as, right, they are an avenue for uh, communication um, within, the, uh, within the metaverse. Um, but there, and I know we don't want to go too into the weeds on anything technical here, but since we're talking about seekers, there is something kind of interesting about the entire like premise and conception of the metaverse where seekers are, you know, they are the 
uh, the in metaverse manifestation of nodes, basically, right? Mm -hmm. So they are this real utility, but they are it's sort of the gamification of this utility to incentivize users to engage with it and to you know to to incentivize act, um, activation um, and engagement. Uh, and so there's this sort of this underlying concept or this this uh, this premise that is the gamification of everything. Like that's kind of what the metaverse is, right? Mm -hmm. You go yeah, in and it's totally. experiential. It's, it's different than how we interact with the internet right now where we browse websites and we read and we go on, we do our banking. The metaverse is a place basically that we exist in, that it's experiential. And so you won't just, you, know, you don't just look up your bank account. You'll probably go to a virtual bank and you know, whatever. Yeah, it's there's something interesting to that that entire concept, this this gamification um, of the nodes or of anything for that matter. It's almost like if we had to reimagine like how we structure society, you know, right? Already, I think people are talk about the gamification of education, for instance, right? Um, but if there's a way to reimagine things, or if you had to do it over again, you would probably do it so that the things that you want people to do align with the things that people like to do. So you make it enjoyable or fun mm -hmm. or something that appeals to the things that they already like to do. So that work exactly. wouldn't just be work and school wouldn't just be school. It would all be designed in a way that people wanted to do it and, and derive some pleasure from doing it. And that's kind of, Absolutely. it seems like that that's built into the, you know, the, the, the premise and the framework of what the metaverse is. Totally. Especially the way that it's getting formulated, um, you know, with like Futureverse and that whole like ecosystem. Right. And it's really I loved reading the white paper. If you and if those of you that are here that or that are watching this that haven't read, it, I would highly recommend reading it. And it, I, it was like a very uh, I don't know. I just loved reading it because it when when I had been at South by Southwest, I also you and I did a panel and then I had done a panel the previous day and I talked specifically about uh, interoperability in the metaverse. And then on our chat, we talked about like entertainment in the metaverse and a lot of the things that we brought up during those chats are, are we're in this white paper and it's a pretty like easy to digest white paper for the most part, like until you get like really, really into the weeds. But like, I know ev I literally had somebody three days ago that messaged me and was like, explain the metaverse to me. <laughs> I was like, 
<laughs> how much time do you have? But like this, the white paper actually does a pretty good job of like keeping it like very easy to digest and like hits really, really important points about the metaverse and what it actually is. And also like points out like what it isn't, you know what I mean? Yeah, totally. You mentioned that panel that we were on with Mike Shinoda and this is kind of a weird flex, but we do have like actually video of the introductions when they introduced us on stage. And I, I guess we're going to show this if for no other reason, just to sort of flex and say, yeah, we were on stage with Mike Shinoda but, <laughs> from Lincoln Park, but let's go ahead and show that video just to be weird. Also the head of partnerships for non-fungible labs, that's Fluff World, Mike Shinoda, uh, founder of Lincoln Park. You might've heard of them. Yes. And has a new position at Warner Brothers Music, right? Yeah. I have no CIA. idea what you're talking are you, are about. Are you there. in the CIA? Yeah. No, no idea. Arlo about Eisenberg, who just dropped, he's an incredible artist who just dropped uh, Drug Receipts, our sponsor for this talk, and the operations director of Freescape IO and founder of, uh, co founder of Melt Interactive, Josh Valenzuela. They made all the graphics in, the, in these domes. I'm going to turn it over to you guys. Thank you. All right, everybody, thank you so much for joining us. So the topic of today. Uh, yeah, awesome. All right, so that was nuts who got cut off. I will go ahead and pay him off. But the guy doing the intro there, that was Mark Shays, the, the fam famous Mark Shays that we talked about. So yeah. So Man, actually, I regretted I, 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 wearing I, I, that leather jacket. I regretted what? wearing that leather jacket. No. It was so hot in there. Oh my yeah, God. Welcome you remember how packed and hot. <laughs> yeah. Oh, it was so hot in the dome. You're right. Yeah. Um, oh, man. Yeah. But so that was a, that was a, that actually was a really cool panel. I, I was glad that we got to be a part of it. And I think that we got a lot of good feedback, but it was really interesting conversation. You know, that that panel was focused on the future of creativity in the metaverse. Um, and it, it got into just some, some really uh, interesting, I think, dialogue there. Uh, one thing that we've talked about a little bit here on today's program, you know, uh, Josh and Morgan, you guys have talked about interoperability. Um, and I think that that's kind of like a, you know, a, a key objective of the metaverse, right? In order to, you know, if we're talking about being inclusive and bridging all these different, you know, siloed communities, if you bring them all together, then, you know, there's got to be kind of an underli underlying um, unity um, to, to bring them all together. And, you know, I talk about like from the artist side, whatever, but you guys actually are, are out there creating this content. And I think that you probably have some interesting insight as far as what it takes. I mean, just talking about the engine, right? You mentioned Unreal Engine. Is that the standard? Is that is that what it's going to be for the metaverse, essentially? Is that kind of where things are going or has that not even been resolved yet? Um, yeah, I mean, no one really knows, right? I mean, there's, there's people who enjoy working in Unreal. There's people who enjoy working in Unity. You know, a lot of these... Uh, metaverse-esque uh, platforms right now are, are working on something called WebXR, right? Which which almost is now being uh, relied upon as a JavaScript code so that you can utilize any animation engine that you like. So we're just looking and, and seeing what people are using. Obviously, you know, Unity versus uh, Unreal has its advantages and disadvantages. Um, but we're, we're, we're basically looking for the best tool for the right job. And I think that a lot of these things will be interoperable as well. Yeah, I mean, like Morgan mentioned it, when interoperability is like, is the word that like, I, I stress on the most and why I wanted to talk on that that first day, and is a word that you'll see used a lot in the white paper. And it's like, it is essential to not, 
well, it's essential to literally everything. It's the way that like the way that our entire life functions in in society is built on interoperability, right? Uh, whether it's between deciding that there's going to be three types of gasoline that work in every single car in the US, uh, that's like an interoperability function, whether a car was made in Europe or, or Japan or in the US, like they have to like fit those, right? So when you think about that, and you apply it to the metaverse, you're talking about things like uh, file formats and like underlying technologies that use them, right? So it's not as simple to just say, yeah, I'm going to like make a video game or like I'm going to use Unreal and it's just going to be usable in the metaverse. And it's not as simple as just to say, I'm going to make this super dope character in Maya or Cinema 4D or in Blender and it's just going to work in, in you know, the Board 8 metaverse or in the Fluff metaverse or whatever, right? There's a lot of things that need to be decided upon on like what everybody is going to use so that it'll work in everybody's little corner of the metaverse, right? It's also important to understand that if somebody is saying they're building the metaverse, they have no idea. I would stay away from that, right? Like they have no idea. They're missing the fundamental core concept of what a metaverse is, right? Like the metaverse is all of this. It's exactly. I think the idea is that you know, we, me and Josh were at AWE, the Augmented World Expo, right? Which was everything VR, AR, and metaverse. And, and you know, the idea is that we're all building our domains in the metaverse right now. Uh, and we're all trying to understand what that standard is, right? Like there, there's a, there's a bunch of like, you know, news right now about Gemini or all these other metaverse-esque platforms uh, starting up. But at the end of the day, there will only be one metaverse. Yeah, which is the open metaverse, which is what, right. which is open. what, you know, the, the Futureverse uh, white paper talks about a lot. And also, you know, that's what we talked about a lot at, at South by. Um, and one of the things that needs to be worked on very, very hard with it is like the user experience, making making it like easier for everybody, the general layman to like navigate it and understand how to use it. Um, because as is also mentioned in that white paper, what what pushes a lot of people away from Web3 and kind of stunts it, its growth in terms of, of mass adoption is it's just not super user friendly, right? Um, so a lot of what's being worked on right now is getting those interoperability like standards, like the, the, the interoperability standards that everybody is agreeing upon to use, um, but also like making things easier to use and like more seamless to use. Uh, right now, Web3 is built on a very a not UX friendly, uh, not like it's meant for people that already kind of get Web3. I already understand blockchain and crypto and blah, blah, blahs, right? So one thing I'm really happy about that, that the white paper mentions is that like one of their main core focuses is making this accessible to everybody and really understandable. Yeah, very interesting. Um, you know, <laughs> an idea comes to mind. I don't even know if it's worth going there because it's a half-baked <laughs> idea, but maybe you guys can talk me through it a little bit just because, you know, I'm, I'm just going to kind of... Uh, uh, reveal my own ignorance here, but, you know, because the metaverse is designed to be open, right. Um, and it's kind of, you know, it's, it's everybody contributing and it's done. Well, I think my analogy is actually too outdated to even be meaningful. Um, <laughs> well, cause I was I mean, on that note, <laughs> I was going to say on that note, like during our panel, yeah. um, I had like mentioned something. I remember you, you gave me a, a little bit of flack for it. Um, when I'd mentioned that like one thing that I love about like Web3 in general, again, remembering that Web3 is not like just the metaverse and the metaverse yeah. is not just AR, VR yeah. stuff. Um, 
But like one thing I love about it is that what's what's driving the innovation and the like building blocks of Web3 and the metaverse uh, and, and everything around it is that idea of like open source stuff, right? Like community driven, shared things so that we can all work together on making it, right? As opposed to the idea of like Silicon Valley style, like everything is super closely guarded. We want our own proprietary stuff that like, that nobody else can have access to. It's like friggin' state secrets. Like we'll hunt you down if you if you know how our code works or whatever, right? Web three, in order for it to like, or the metaverse, for it to be able to work, like everybody has to understand how it works. Everybody has to be included. Everybody has to have access to it, right? There's obviously still gonna be private companies that build their portions of the metaverse. And there will probably be more popular areas of the metaverse than other areas, but like, but like it needs to be open to where you can have ownership over your stuff, right? And you can take your avatar and go to somebody's little little corner of the metaverse and you can like have control of your data and you can sign in without needing to sign up for something where they start controlling your data. And so you can chat with each other like using the silo network um, without needing to like have somebody have access to that data, if that makes sense, right? Um, and that, again, that's getting super into the weeds, but uh, it, it is, it is really cool to see uh, that the idea of this all being like not mega corporation controlled. Now, if we don't make it easy to use, part of the problem is that like people are going to shy away from it, that they don't understand it. They're going to shy away from it. And then they're going to get lured into these metas, these Facebooks that are going to say, oh, no, we're building the metaverse. It's super easy to use. And, you know, we're going to we're going to have a really bad time there, but I, I don't foresee that happening. Yeah. It is like, you know, one of those things that could happen. A, sure. a great analogy that I use and, and Zuck probably isn't gonna like this is that I believe that meta is the AOL of the metaverse. It's closed system. <laughs> uh, and if you think about it, it makes a lot of sense, right? Now I do have a lot of respect for, for what, what Facebook is doing with pushing the envelope and taking the risks and hiring every single creative uh, known to man at this point, in my opinion, um, but I do. I do definitely think that you know this is. We're definitely seeing you know the the, the reiteration of what happened in the '90s and the early 2000s with with how the internet began growing, um, just the Web3 version. And I think that a closed system like Meta will never truly be uh, what we th will believe the metaverse will be. Maybe you guys can fill me in, but is there any hope or possibility that Meta will? open up and just become a part of the greater metaverse instead of being completely walled off? I would imagine that the way a, a corporation like that is run would not allow for it, right? So unless they like completely radically shift, all of what Facebook's profits are made off of is by them controlling. They control everything. They control your data, how it's used, how it's sold, they control what you see, what is on your feed. They, they need to keep control of that to be able to keep their valuation, to keep their shareholders happy, et cetera, et cetera, right? So I find it unlikely unless the company just like goes under and like needs some type of like massive uh, resurgence or overhaul. But I, I really, I don't think so. Or, or if the model just completely changes under their feet and they have to adapt to Correct. a new economy, right? Totally. Yeah, totally. Absolutely. Yeah, they have no choice but to do so. Exactly. Yeah, I, I can't. That's kind of what I meant by like they have to basically go under at that point. You know what right. I mean? Like they have to realize, okay, there's no way we're actually going to get through this way. You know? Okay, cool. Well, let's shift from talking about Meta's future and let's talk about your future because you guys have some interesting projects that you guys are working on and have in the pipeline. 
we've talked about some of the NFL projects that you guys have worked on. I know that an exciting one uh, that's been in the works is the uh, Muhammad Ali project. Uh, Y'all want to talk a little bit about that? Sure. Uh, that the the Muhammad Ali game. Uh, I want to be very clear. Uh, they have a very robust team. They're working on all of that very secretly and internally on, in terms of like how it's going to work. And we are not necessarily working on like that project. That said, we just did recently um, the trailer uh, for that project, which was really really cool because we got to work with some of their character models, get some of that rigging done. And also it was a little bit different than what we normally do, right? It's not something that we haven't done before, but but what 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 we wanted for it or what the what they wanted was like, hey, we want like a really like triple A video game, like Overwatch style uh, or Arcane style trailer, like show off how beautiful this this game and how cool it's gonna be is. Um, and so we got into like our mocap suits and we got to like rig up the characters and make some really beautiful environments and have a, have a cool storyboard for it. Their, their internal team is insane, by the way, they have like, they have like Disney level people, yeah. uh, as like even their storyboard artists and stuff like that. They're like the, that whole, like, you know, with ASM and, and NFL working together along with like, uh, Muhammad Ali's, uh, organization, like there's a, that's a big big powerhouse. So we were really lucky to work on that video. Uh, we're hoping that like, you know, with future stuff, whether it be future characters or whatever, that we can participate as well. Um, but yeah, more so I'd say with that, you know, we're just hoping to work on future stuff and then work on other NFL stuff as well. But yeah, I know, I know you guys have that video. I, I don't know if everybody here has seen it, but it was super cool. We're super happy about it. Yeah. Let, let's take a look at it. Let's share it. Super cool. So talk to me a little bit about the process. Like, do they come to you with the storyboard and assets? Uh, or So yeah. Um, yeah, on that one, they, they approached us. And for, the first thing they asked was like, hey, do you have the bandwidth? Um, and again, it was, unfortunately, it was one where, where it was also like a very, we had a really, really short timeline, right? So we had like about a little bit less than like three weeks to put something out that was like, that like, you know, if it were an Overwatch or an Arcane or something, they would spend like multiple months with a massive, massive team on it. So 
it it was it was it probably could have been a lot better right but we were determined to like make it look as cool as possible we literally we did things like we watched videos on how butterflies fly like we learned how a butterfly actually like flies and moves so we are all a butterfly flying experts now um and then we also wanted the movements to look genuine so like it was important that we got into like a motion capture suit uh, and did like the punching and we had to do a bunch of iterations of that but yeah what was really cool is they came to us they said hey here's what we're coming out with here's how amazing all the stuff looks that we're going to be releasing so we need a trailer that like matches that um here's a storyboard they gave us out a beautiful storyboard i'm talking like movie level storyboard every detail drawn in like every frame and everything which is always extremely helpful uh for us when we're making something like that but uh yeah it was it was cool. So they provided us with some of the characters. We did some character cleanup on things that like, you know, fixing some of their clothes and stuff like that. Um, it was a little bit of a process. It was a lot of back and forth, but it was it was cool because we all it was like a team thing. Right. So like we'd be like, hey, we, we were sending stuff like every day, like, hey, what do you think about this? And they would give us the feedback and we change this and that. And then we did a, a, a audio. Uh, we did the whole audio track for it with between all the background walking sounds we recorded like gravel outside of the studio mm -hmm. stuff like that but then once we handed it to them they also we gave them all the stems and they did a bunch of audio work and and, and made the audio even better on it i would say um for sure so yeah it was a cool it was like a really cool collaborative project uh, i told them next time we need uh to get a longer timeline on it but it was it was super fun to work on for sure uh, yeah if, well, if, well, if you turn it around in three weeks you set a bad precedent a dangerous precedent <laughs> Right. <laughs> we did. And, and speaking of that, you know, we were using technology like like motion capture suits um, and, and just different things in the studio to try to, you know, uh, speed up the process a little bit. Um, but also just kind of helps us also understand, um, you know, that animation style, um, especially when it comes to the game. If you if you notice that the aesthetic on that, it, it looks so hyper realistic. And I think that that is a really, really great representation of what a lot of these metaverse environments are going to look like. So I think that's why everyone likes to look so much. Yeah, and actually to go to to actually add to that point, since we're talking about Web3 metaverse and all that, um, one thing that's really important about metaverse when we're referring to the to the like 3D version of the metaverse, right? When we're talking about avatars and moving around environments, like there's a really important aspect of it that that you have to consider when building assets for it, which is like things like polygon counts. Like you have most systems, especially if you want it to be able to run on the web. WebXR is different than running it like on, a, on an Xbox or like through Steam or something like that, right? Like if you want to run it through the web, you can't have as many polygons. You can't have things like uh, particle sims, like hair and stuff like that. It just doesn't work, right? So if you want something that's truly... Um, interoperable right between different places you have to like know those things and build around it right so like that aesthetic that they're using works perfectly for it because they've got yeah. that it still looks really realistic and cool but it's not it's not completely fortnite but it's also not completely like you know these like crazy crazy high res like triple a games that you see you know what i mean so there's like this isn't they're they're it's an issue that that fluff is running into right because their characters are mm -hmm. furry rabbits and furry party bears right and even furry thingies you know the the uh spiders uh so yeah so i think yeah. that's something they're bumping up against yeah it's, like, uh, it's what a lot of people are going to learn soon like a lot yeah. of projects not just them a lot of projects are going to have like a really rude awakening soon when they're like oh yeah 
we're going to make our like all of ours are going to be fully 3d rigged it's like yeah that's barely the tip of the iceberg on making it actually work with everything you know and, and look and mind you i think that you know in in two three four five years we're going to be there right like mm -hmm. the, the thing that's holding it back webex engines and a lot of these things are just the amount of instances in the gameplay itself um and the type of and when we start talking about instances right like when we're playing a video game with our community of people on steam or something you know, maybe there's three to 10,000 people playing a single game at once, you know, but when we're looking at the instances of the metaverse, we're talking about millions of people uh, all, yeah. you know, cohabitating inside of this virtual mm -hmm. world. So I think that, you know, a lot of the growth of Web3 in the metaverse will be hardware and software dependent, um, which is pretty exciting, actually, because it's going to allow us to really be, you know, dynamic and unique in what we're going to be able to offer as it progresses. Yeah, yeah. it's also spurring innovation and building those systems Correct. out to be able to support that stuff. You know what I mean? Like it, we're right now, this is a little bit into the weeds, but right now most gaming, uh, like like uh, I believe right now Unity, the max people you can have like in a, in, in a room is like in one area is like, it's either, I think it was a hundred or maybe that's unreal. Um, again, that's not super our, my area of expertise, but like it's limited is my point. Right. Mm -hmm. So if you've got a yeah. million people, it's not like million, a million people can all be in one like hub, right. You can't all yeah. be hanging out in the, in the plaza together. Right. Just because it literally is, is incapable of doing that at the moment. But I'm hoping that that just like spurs innovation and spurs like people learning how we can optimize it and make it so that that instancing issue is like uh, a little bit less of an issue you know what i mean yeah so very we get, we very get super cool. super into the weeds on that stuff <laughs> yeah no but yeah. it's interesting it's why you guys are here you know it's that that's the kind of content that you know you, you just can't get uh, anywhere else so that that's what we want to hear love it um speaking of I think that we, you guys have a few examples of kind of the the next stuff that you're working on, and some of these things that we've been talking about, even with your, your you know your motion capture suits and things like that. Some of the technology mm -hmm. you guys utilize. You want to talk about some of the stuff you're working on? Sure. Um, there's there's two like really well. There's three main things we're working on. Uh, I'll let Morgan talk about one of them. Uh, one of one of the things that we're that we're working on is because we've been we've been slammed. So Melt still does a bunch of stuff that's not animation, right? So like we just built out a 25 foot tall interactive tree for Dell World, which is like mm -hmm. Dell's like largest convention they throw. Um, it was super cool. Like you could walk up to it and by standing in different areas, you could control the LED lights and blah, blah, blah. So the reason I'm saying that is we've been getting so much work still on the live event side and like live interactive element pr uh, production part. But then we're also getting like hit super hard with animation work, especially like NFT work and stuff like that. So we've been in the process of teaming up with uh, one of our like sister studios. Uh, they're called Luminum Forge. They also have a Seekers backpack item, which is the Amver Hammer and Anvil because um, they're the Forge. Uh, but we're looking at, at teaming up with them, creating a new studio and having part of our animators work there and part of their animators work in this new studio that's going to mainly service nft web3 clients so like that they're going to focus specifically on if you've got an nft project you want to build or if you have like a metaverse world you want to build or whatever like like that's all they're going to focus on and then that way we can hire on more staff and, and more teams so that's one thing that we're working on is building that new team uh Another thing we're working on is building out Metastars. So everybody here probably knows about Angel Baby. That's an example of a Metastar, right? 
Uh, we've recently been approached by a lot of people who we won't mention because uh, I don't think they would appreciate us uh, mentioning it. But like big people that that you definitely know um, have come to us and basically want us to start building out their meta stars, their like digital representations. I'll let Morgan maybe chat a little bit more about that. Yeah, I mean, yeah, and we really can't mention any names right now, but we're talking, you know, A-list artists that look are looking to create meta star shows that will complement not only their live shows but will also allow them to create additional characters i think one of the coolest parts about you know pfp nfts in general is it allows people to you know be something that they're usually not in real life right so if you look at a variety of these different you know uh pfp projects you're basically now creating your own semblance of yourself through this animal or this fluff or this party bread that you own um, and the artists want to do the same, right? A lot of these producers and a lot of these people that make music that we work with would love to be able to have four or five acts, right? That, that, that are meta stars, right? So if somebody is a large scale producer and they have a bunch of different sounds, maybe they make a jazz record, an EDM record and a pop record, um, they can now be three different entities in the metaverse and be different versions of themselves. Uh, which really, really uh, makes me excited. Um, I also noticed yeah, that everybody. So I'll just keep it going. Um, yeah. Sorry, I don't know what happened there. And can you can you touch Morgan on like on the shows that we're building for like live events too, and like trying to bring those meta stars like to the to the real world? Yeah, sure. So you know, we, we were we're working with you know a variety of, of different artists that are already you know playing 30, 40, 50,000 cap venues. Right. Um, and the whole concept is to to be able to mirror the show that's happening in real time in the metaverse. Right. Because everybody the only thing that holds people back from experiencing a lot of these shows is time, space and capital. Right. So there's a reason that when you watch Ultra Music Festival, you know, there's only 150,000 people there physically, but they have over a million people streaming it. Right. Because it really allows people to to come together from a worldwide perspective and enjoy a, a piece of music and a piece of art. Now imagine if instead of watching, you know, a camera feed of a concert, um, while the concert's going on, you can actually sit inside of a 3D version of that same arena that the artist is, is performing inside of and feel like you're actually there. Uh, what Travis Scott did with Fortnite yeah. was great, but it didn't necessarily, uh, you know, coincidentally also sit within a real, a real world structure. And that's what we're excited about, right, is being able to offer you know, MetaFest, right? We can call it MetaStarFest. And every single time uh, an artist is playing in the real world in LA, in SoFi Stadium, and there's 100,000 people there, maybe at the same time, there's a million people standing there as NFTs um, also sharing the same experience. So that's- Absolutely. That's really and that kind of that kind of leads us into the third thing that we're working on. Um, but yeah, just to just to wrap that, that little part up is uh, a big thing that we're, a large lift that we're doing right now is helping people build their stars. So again, like we were talking yeah. about making these characters that are ready, ready for interoperability to work in a variety of different fashions, but then also literally building out live shows for them. Some of these artists like your angel babies, they want to be able to perform at an ultra. They want to be able to perform at, uh, you know, Bonnaroo, like whatever. Right. So like 
what we're doing is we're we're helping to start build out for some of those artists we're helping to, them to start build out like an actual live show which includes things like video production and lighting and lasers and having all that stuff time coded and having your vj and all that stuff so that's been really really fun which leads us kind of into our um into our next thing that we're working on and arlo's working on his camera but like arlo can you still hear us and can you still talk just in case I don't know. Can yes, you guys hear me? Oh yeah, yeah, I can totally yeah. hear you. Also, Man, you, guys, uh, you guys are real pros. Like I was throwing everything at you, trying to derail you, but Morgan, you just like kept on trucking, like completely unfazed. And Josh, you, you guys are you guys are demonstrating why you were such true professionals. I'm very impressive. <laughs> but I'm sorry about all that. I don't know what happened. Yeah. My camera just fell over. It's you had an earthquake. It was two or six dollars okay. at once. Somebody started giving up. Yeah. That's, why, that's why i draw the pictures don't don't put me around the technology i'm hopeless yeah. um so the third thing that that we're working on right now and we're actually working with um we're working with the with the deed entertainment guys as Hold well on, Josh. this this stuff that you're oh, talking about these, is this accompanied by the videos that we've got should we be playing these because we not have yet. some videos no not yet okay no 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 that that well that's what we're about to get into right so okay, cool. uh so yeah, so we're 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 in the process of building a new entity to revive the virtual arena thing that we had uh, that we that we started working on, you know, in twenty twenty and early twenty twenty and and uh, middle twenty twenty, which was uh, that Unreal Engine based uh, arena platform. And and again, at the time, it was just like we were just hoping that since people were stuck inside, they would want to do it. Well, now right? There's the whole metaverse, right? Metaverse is the big thing. And everybody knows that they want to start building out systems to replicate in real life systems that can either that can either support it or just like add be an additive to it, right? So like, what we're doing is we're reviving that digital arena uh, platform idea. Now, it helps understand the context of like how it came about, which is why I gave you those videos. Um, originally, what happened during COVID is we got approached by one of our partners that we help produce uh, EDC with almost every year. Uh, and they were like, look, I've got a warehouse. It's the biggest warehouse you've ever seen in your entire life, full of gear. I've got LED panels, I've got truss, I've got massive structures. And this 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 warehouse like is like 60 feet high ceilings. Like it's massive, right? Huge place. And he was like, I have some pretty wealthy clients that would love if they were like, could do, I'd like a 20 person show and just have like be able to bring since it's COVID, we're talking like lockdown, everything is shut down. You can even go to the freaking store type shutdown, right? So they wanted to be able to do kind of an underground private, like like EDC type event or ultra type event, right? Which which we it was extremely private, and that's why we've never we've never publicized any of the videos. No video was allowed during the event and all that. Um, we have some videos we're gonna that we provided you to show you just to give some context, but that is what like ended up turning into like the full platform that we started working with, and that's actually what originally got us that that one year of like runway. They, they like guaranteed us a million dollars. They paid all of our salaries for all of our animators and everything just to work on it, right? Um, but if you don't mind, I would say play the first video. The first video will give you an idea. Actually, I'll tell you about it first before they play the video. The idea was this. It was a stage that was all 360 degree uh, LED 
with a little platform with some guardrails around it to feel like you were at like an EDC or like an ultra, right? Like those, you know, those guardrails like uh, that are by the stage and all that. And then they were going to get like bottle service and all that. And they got brought into this like facility in a party bus that was all like uh, blacked out curtains and all this stuff and brought into there. Um, so show the first video so you guys kind of have an idea of what I'm talking about. So before we get to the next video, as you could see, 20, like 20 foot high uh, LED walls. Also in that video, it was a little bit quick. So you might not have noticed, but there was also truss above and like lighting above. So there was like lighting rigs, um, there was like smoke machines, and then obviously, you know, full uh, 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 audio, surround sound audio in there. So what we did was in Unreal Engine, we built a stage. It was modeled off of one of the uh, ultra stages that we had done in the past. And what we wanted to do was to make this feel real, right? So at the time, the tools did not exist to do what we wanted to do. Namely, we wanted a VJ like Morgan, for example, to be able to be in real life using the tools he normally uses to control visuals on fake screens in Unreal, right? But doing it live. And then we also wanted the lighting designer. All these guys have lighting, in case you guys don't know, all these guys have super top of the line VJs like Morgan, and then you've got super top of the line lighting designers, right? So they'll have people that either go on the show with them, go on the road, or they pre-program this stuff. So when you're there and there's all the crazy lights and lasers and stuff, like there's a guy that's like a pro running all that stuff, right? But if you're doing it in a gaming engine, right? Like somebody might know how to make a video game but they don't really know how to produce a live event so we wanted all that to be like connected and the tools just didn't exist so we ended up writing our like writing code for our own tools and putting that together then we had what we had to do was make it so that it all looked perspective correct around you so we used what like the mandalorian uses but in a very different way mandalorian used a thing called end display to be able to make it so that when they were shooting the mandalorian on the screens it was always perspective correct so what we did was we shot like a bunch of cameras all at the same time. And so when you were in there, it literally felt like you were there. And you'll notice in the video that's going to play here, when I do a spin around, there's a guy that's behind me, right? And this was like, this was just while we were testing to make sure everything was working. Um, but the guy behind me was like the lighting designer. And he's sitting there in real life controlling not only the lights in Unreal, but also the real lights that were rigged above. So everything matched. So if you don't mind playing that video, no, that was enough context, I think. I get really excited when I talk about this stuff. So. Well, I, yeah. I forgot to mention also we got Cascade to to do that private show. So he literally was green screening in for that show. Um, and again, like that stuff didn't exist now uh, after the metaverse started. Now there's been a bunch of tools that have come out in the past. Like literally we're talking the last like eight to 10 months that have come out um, by Unreal Engine 
so that now you can do things like like there's like lasers, uh, there's like full volumetric lighting, and there's just the tools to 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 use now so that we don't have to code our own our own stuff. Uh, so that at least you know that that's going to help with the newer iteration. But again, this is literally like we're talking you know early 2020 type stuff. And I think that, you know, now that the viewers have kind of seen how the virtual worlds can work with the real world in terms of the lighting rig, the colors are the same, the movements are the same, that really is going to help cement people's ideas of what a Metastar show is going to be, right? Like, we're going to have people live on stage who are actually performing, and then you'll be in VR, or you'll be watching in the TV, or you'll be doing different ways to have that interoperability and that same, you know, uh, you know, consistent look across across platforms, um, and and I think at the end of the day, you know, that's what Web three is all about, right? Is 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 bringing the internet and bringing experiences all around us in the real world, in the augmented world, in the virtual world, all those different places. Yeah, yeah absolutely. And like, and again, our goal with that was to make it so that like it didn't feel cheesy, like it didn't feel. We wanted to make it. So that like if you are in VR or we want to make it since we're since we're starting over on this project again, we want to make it so that even if you're in VR, there's going to be crowds around you. There's going to be crowds of of NPCs like fake people around you, but there's also going to be real people around. You can have a group of your own friends with you. Um, you can have like little chats. You can have people invite you to their shows, uh, et cetera. And like when you're looking at the stage, it like really feels like you're there. Right. That's that's the idea. We want it to feel like you're actually at a rave right you're actually at a show and not just like oh i'm in fortnite and it feels like a video game you know what i mean and like morgan said with the way that we're making this we can actually make a stage that is the ultra stage that is performing at the exact same time as real ultra and you can stand there in vr if you can't make it to ultra and it can feel like you're there right there's like a lot of different ways that we're working with that but you know we're we're mega excited about it it's super cool now one of the ways i did have a third video which we, we might not have to show. It's not really that important, but volumetric capture is one of the ways that we're going to make it so that, again, to increase that realism. And volumetric capture, just in its simplest sense, is just 360 degree, uh, 360 degree green screen video, meaning I can, instead of being a flat plane, like we would be on a stream like this, or even that Cascade video, that was a green screen. So he, if you were to walk around him in VR, he would just look flat, right? Hmm. With volumetric capture, it captures their entire body. So you could literally walk up to Cascade and see him and walk around him in theory, right? We, I don't know if we're going to let people do that, but that in theory you could. And so it just looks like a real person. They could come out onto the stage and like interact and do things that they would normally do. And it's, right. it's capturing uh, the whole performance like that. Yeah. So the third video yeah. I provided was from a friend of ours that ended up becoming our lead our lead developer. Uh, he he built he built this demo in Unity, and it just so happened that we were working on this at the same time. And so we actually formed Immersive Entertainment together hmm. yeah, as him as our lead animator. So maybe we show it just so people yeah. have an idea. Let's look at it. About. And yeah, sorry that that one didn't have audio. And again, that that wasn't something that uh, Morgan and I and Melt produced. Uh, that was that was our our uh, former lead developer. Dan, his name is Daniel Trujillo. He he made that. But we ended up like trying to combine both of those. He was working in Unity, so you noticed that like uh, you noticed that the the environments looked a little you know a little uh, video gamey or whatever. But like what we were going to do is take 
the way that those the artists look, the full, hey, I'm in VR, I can walk around them, and then add that with the photorealism of the stages and stuff that we are building. Very cool. Uh, you guys have shared so much like great content, um, not just what you've shared on screen in your videos, but even what's coming out of your minds. I mean, I know that people are really enjoying this and have seen a lot of really great reaction to the uh, some of the promo videos that you guys have made, um, the trailers that y'all shared. I'd like to take an opportunity to uh, bring in some viewer comments or questions. I think that our moderators have been collecting some maybe from Discord or from the YouTube channel. But if we have any questions, let's go ahead and uh, pose those to our guests now or any comments. Um, who do we have? Oh, yeah. <laughs> go ahead, Joel. We can show. We've got the title card. Let's do it. Don't. If we're going to show it, let's show it. Yeah. There you go. Drugs. <laughs> hey, you guys are up, drug snugglers. Um, where am I looking? I'm looking in the private chat. If anyone's got a question, let's just post it up there. I think that'll be the easiest, and then we can present it to our guests. Um, so we, we've been talking about... Uh, Oh, actually, we've been talking about a lot of the stuff that's in the pipeline. We've talked a lot about uh, the, the different projects you guys have worked on. They're all exciting. But is there any stuff that you guys are super excited about that's coming down the pipeline that we haven't talked about yet? And before you answer that, I'm going to go ahead and do a plug for drug receipts because we've got you guys on here as guests. And I don't think we've even mentioned it, but we, you know, we, we, you guys animated um, our content for the domes, but there are a couple of projects, several projects that we have in the pipeline that are actually, you know, that we have cooking with you guys right now. Um, and it, that includes working on wearables, right? Uh, um, mm -hmm. URL wearables. Yeah. We can't talk too much about it yet at this point, but it is worth noting that, you know, that there is actually some, uh, we have some irons in the fire here, right? We're not we're, we're not just uh, talking, you know, because of past um, relationships, but there's actually future projects as well. Um, okay, so all that said, what is something super exciting that you guys are at liberty to discuss that's coming down the pipeline? Man, uh, the problem is most of the stuff we work on is just not allowed to be talked about uh, until it's, you know, it, when we're working for other clients, I guess. So the, the yeah. stuff we just shared with, is stuff that like we're working on that we're at liberty to share. I mean, I, I'm pretty excited about the uh, the arenas personally. Uh, we are we are finishing up like all of our literature for it and our decks and stuff, and we are going to be starting like uh, a funding round for that uh, within the next within the next couple couple weeks. We are still working on a uh, on our own uh, PFP project that will have integration to live events a la fluff houses and um it's not a fluff house thing but it's something that we're working on that would be integrated with those types of events right so working with events across a broader spectrum and stuff like that we're doing a lot of fun work with the deed entertainment team morgan and i uh with helping to produce uh web3 centered live events so we want to throw festivals for example you know 10 to twenty thousand plus type festivals uh, with headliners that are kind of like your uh, life in a uh, lightning in a bottle or your or your EDCs or whatever, but that are very Web three focused and centric. That'll have a lot of everything that's running it, whether it be the ticketing system, right? Whether it be getting 
wearables, um, whether it be, you know, being able to get an NFT that's like a, a proof of attendance NFT for going to them um, and building like these big, big name uh, events around that. That's I guess that's something we're working on that we didn't that we didn't mention yet for sure. Um, and obviously the stuff we're working on with you uh, too. that we love we love that kind of stuff as well. Uh, amazing. Thank you. Uh, we enjoy it as well. It's been a real privilege to be able to work with you guys. Um, Morgan, what has been the most rewarding aspect uh, of working in this industry? Uh, for me personally, and I think for Melt as our brand, what's been really rewarding is being able to take, you know, our, our business model that we've had for the last 10 years and, and not only redefine it, but also kind of amalgamize it together, right? And, and understand that we're not really moving past live events into Web3, but we're actually now combining to, to the two together. And for me, that's super exciting because of, you know, the network that we have um, and some of our larger clients like Live Nation and, and Insomniac and a lot of those other people, you know, uh, our main goal with Melt is to help our clients find the best solution uh, to 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 approaching this metaverse this metaverse piece and that's what's really exciting to me is being able to have these larger scale conversations the that it's just not about web3 it's just not about webxr it's just not about uh, live events or blockchain or crypto it's about really understanding like what the user experience is going to be um, and the interoperability of all that kind of stuff so that's kind of that's what I'm most excited about yeah, very well said. Well, guys, it's been a real pleasure having y'all on uh, this evening. Thank you guys for coming on. We're super excited about all the projects that you guys are involved with, but especially the stuff that we've got coming down the pipeline that we're working on with you. Cannot wait till we can share more about that and start uh, sharing that with our drug snugglers community. Uh, but thank you guys for coming on. And uh, we look forward to more things ahead from Melt Interactive. So thank you guys for sharing so much with us this evening. Yeah. Thank you for having Thanks, me. Guys. This is this is fun. I I uh, I'll, I'll come on anytime. Good talk, man. We'll have you back on. Yeah, we would love to do it. We'll have to check in with you later. Maybe maybe after we do some drops. Yeah, absolutely. All right, you guys. Thanks, Josh. Thanks, Morgan. All right, great. So that was super illuminating. Uh, it's so cool when you can check in with like true prof professionals from other industries uh, that really you know know their stuff. Uh, definitely learned a lot there. You know, it's so funny. This is our 11th episode. And to my knowledge, I've never had any like camera issues. And so then the moment we have on like these, you know, these uh, visual experts, like I just, I cannot get it solved. I, I'm sure you guys can tell, but I'm not even on the same camera anymore. I had to unplug it. Uh, so now the lighting is like totally effed. It's just not, um, it's not optimized for this, this other webcam that I'm on. But yeah, such is the nature of the biz, right? We're pros. We just got to keep on uh, plugging along. And in fact, Trevor, you were right. I was looking at the wrong camera earlier at the start of the show. I was actually looking at this one, forgetting that I actually had one set up down here. But so now I think I'm looking at the right camera. Uh, man, Greg, this is definitely a very Greg moment, a very Greg episode. Uh, for our drug snugglers, we know what we're talking about, right? This, this is Greg receipts right here. Um, so speaking of drug snugglers, let's get into some hardcore drug snuggler content. So we've got a lot of updates that we can, uh, get into. Let's bring up our, uh, our, our queen moderator, our queen med. Let's bring in Jesse and let's do our routine checkup. Jesse, are you there? Hey. Yay. Here's Jesse. Great. 
Hi. Hey, guys. How are you feeling? And by guys, I mean uh, Arlo, I guess. <laughs> oh, I'm feeling all right. Thanks. Yeah, nothing, you know, nothing to see here. Everything's just running as smooth as it can. Why? What are you talking about? That's drug receipts. No signs of Greg. I like that at top. All. I like that top. Oh, this. Yeah. Uh huh. Them skates. So, actually, I'll just go ahead and go right out of order here. But since you're wearing that, we have a collaboration that we did with the Blading Cup, where we took a pair of them skates, them uh, 909 skates, and we did some little customizations to them. We put on some custom frames with Create Originals that had drug receipts art in it. Uh, we put on the Blading Cup laces. We put some uh, custom drug receipts gold stickers on the back. Um, and we made it this gorgeous uh, box to package the whole thing in, uh, branded with drug receipts and blading cup. But so anyway, you guys are all familiar with this project. We've been talking about it for, you know, since the blading cup, but we have finally got the, uh, the forms ready for you to claim your uh, blading cup drug receipt skates. So those things, that is live right now. If you yeah, have- exactly. Right. If you had a gray skates trait or a one of one at the time of the snapshot, which I think was back at April 22nd or something like that, April 26th, but you guys know who you are, then you can go. I believe that we are posting a link in our discord now. Um, we will definitely be putting it out through our channels, but just know, be on the lookout for it. You will be able to claim your uh, special gray skates um, trait drop um, immediately. So get in there, fill out the form, yeah. and the 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 special gray skates package is a it's it's a box set. So it's not just the skates. So we need to know your skate size. Um, that's on the form, but we also need to know your shirt size because we've got shirts in there. So just make sure that you fill out all the info. And because we are shipping these out to you, uh, don't neglect to include the the email address, the phone number, because for international shipping, we have to have all of that. Otherwise, we just can't even get the the packages out. So. Yeah, get in there, fill out those forms, and we will get your amazing uh, special gray skates trait drop out to you because they're they're really really snug and cool, and I can't wait for you guys to have them. I do want to address something though, um, just for any rollerbladers that might be watching. We uh, we have received some feedback on those skates, and I think that it's worth mentioning, guys, that what makes this you know particular um, collaboration really interesting is the method at which we are distributing these skates. It's not something that has been done in the rollerblading industry before to, um, you know, these aren't something that you can pick up at the store. You know, these are only acquired if you have a drug receipt NFT with the special gray skate trait. So it's really, really exciting that, you know, Arlo, once again, you are uh, revolutionizing the rollerblading space. <laughs> it's really exciting. Sure. Yeah. Thank you for that. I mean, it's just, we're really, we're just trying to do something to, you know, to get back to the community a little bit and to promote, you know, the, the blading cup and, uh, and rollerblading, uh, and just to do something fun and cool. This is not, it's not an actual collaboration with them skates, right? This is a collaboration with the blading cup and it's, we are buying them skates. This is not a, a collab skate. Hopefully somewhere in our future, there will be a proper collaboration between drug receipts and them skates. And we'll do a, a completely custom skate. This one, we just bought skates from uh, John Julio. We bought them from them skates. We did some, you know, some little customizations to them uh, to commemorate the blading cup. And we put them into, you know, this really cool box set. So, and, and we're giving them all away for free. So, right, no one is buying these things. It's just a really cool, fun thing. Um, and we love that people are excited about it and we can't wait for you guys to get your hands on them. So 
those get in there, fill out your forms, and we will start shipping them out just as soon as we can. Um, I do want to say uh, real quick, though, um, when you guys, if you guys hold more, uh, more than one uh, special gray skate, you are eligible to claim more than one uh, pair of skates, but you're going to have to go through that process individually. So that means you'll have to connect your wallet, fill out the form, um, you know, in the, in the individual amount of times, one transaction per. Exactly. Thank you for clarifying that. Um, and what makes this all possible, right, is that we finally have holder verification. So we were able to connect your wallets. We're able to know what traits you had. Um, and this has been a big boon to our Discord community as well. Jesse, would you like to tell us a little bit more about that? Yeah, of course. Um, first off, I do want to give a big shout out to Don and the development team. You guys have been working super hard to get this live. I know Don has been advocating for it, so we're really excited to uh, have it live. But yeah, so you guys, um, so now we do have holder verification. So you can connect your wallet and we can verify that you are a drug receipt holder. Now, the really exciting thing about this for some, you know, for people whose this might be their first NFT or their first time in the Discord and first foray into this whole thing is that it really opens the possibilities for um, rewards, for rewards for people that hold drug receipts um, and even rewards for people that hold um, special traits or unique traits. Um, so we now can start moving, you know, in that direction to be able to give our snugglers um, a little bit more than what they might have bargained for. So it's it's really exciting. Um, there are four tiers or there are four categories. So we have the drug snugglers. That's anyone that holds a, um, a drug receipt. So uh, from one receipt to nine receipts, you will get that special role. And then there's the, an additional role, uh, set trippers, for anyone that has one of each character. Uh, as a reminder, guys, we do have four unique characters in the drug receipts collection, Cap, Cabby, Siren, and Rex. Um, so if you guys hold one of each, you know, I'm not saying anything, but we have hinted that there will be, you know, some kind of reward for that for set tripping and um or uh, i'm gonna say too much so i'm gonna stop now but um the, the next year we have is anyone that's holding 10 between 10 and i believe 49 drug receipts you get the title of big pharma those are the double digit ballers uh we had technology guys and then of course we do have our kingpins and our kingpins are anyone that hold 50 or more drug receipts so wow. There you go. Do with that yeah. information what you will. Yeah. So those are those are new roles that have been introduced into the Discord community. They're really fun. And so now, you know, this is something that we have all been kind of clamoring for for a long time. So it's nice to finally have that uh, functionality in our in our Discord server. Uh, and as Jesse said, that opens the door to a, a whole lot uh, more opportunities uh, in the future for our drug snugglers. So very excited to finally have holder verification. Um, another big development in the Discord community is that we are assembling our Senate. We are putting together the Senate. Uh, that will be, <laughs> you know, some select Discord community members who will serve as kind of an advisory board. And we will have regularly, uh, we will have regular uh, meetings to uh, talk things out, to get input um, from our community and to, you know, maybe to use them as a sounding board. But so we have just opened up a channel in our Discord server um, for people to nominate 
anyone that they think would be a, a stellar candidate to serve on the Senate. Um, and we are going to have voting. <laughs> We're going to have voting in the in the uh, channel um, via, I think it's just going to be via the green check icon or emoji. Um, and I, uh, an official announcement will go out about that probably in the next 24 hours. But just as a little heads up, I believe that the channel is already open and it should be self-evident, right, that we are looking for people that are engaged and enthusiastic and have a, have a point of view and that want to, you know, be a part of the community building process. And there's no question, right, there's no shortage of super qualified people in our community. So we really look forward to getting this, our, to getting the Senate put together um, and, and starting that, that dialogue in a more formalized um, way. Yeah. So if you guys have ever dreamed of being on the Senate or Arlo Senate, this is your second shot at a dream well, come true. So I'm, I'm really rooting for uh, Roadhouse, Randy Spicer, because he is a drug snuggler. He's in our Discord. I really hope that he makes the Senate because he, I think he's one of the only ones who who has a chance of being having been on both Senates, right? He will have been on the Senate kill team, the actual. And guys, just a little bit of backstory. So the reason it's called the Senate is not just so it sounds like some, you know, uh, governmental organization uh, with authority, but also it's a nod to Brooke and I, our, our very first project together, our first company was called Senate. Uh, it was a rollerblading accessories company and it was super successful. But so as a kind of a nod to that, now we are, we're going to have uh, the Senate will be our, our kind of our advisory board. Um, and, but Randy, so Randy was on Senate and now maybe if you guys think that he's qualified, uh, and here I am, like, it sounds like I'm already campaigning for someone. I, I have no interest. In, I really, I'm not trying to show for Randy. I just think that it's funny because he was on Senate. So that, that's my whole thing there. So nominate whoever you guys think is most qualified and we'll let, we'll let it sort itself out. Uh, yeah, definitely. Speaking of Randy Spicer, though, I don't know if this is a segue into our next segment. Um, I'm probably getting a little out of line, out of order here, out of line too. No, it's um, but I was doing some research and, um, you know, I came across this interview that Randy Spicer did a couple years back where he said one of the best things, that, so, and I'm paraphrasing here, but one of the best things about being on Senate was that he didn't have to do laundry for like two years because yeah. <laughs> you guys just kept him, you know decked out and i thought yeah. that was really interesting yeah it was and people really abused that <laughs> uh <laughs> the guy actually that's my house guest right now downstairs rollinson rivera he used to whenever he would you know be packing for a trip because we would have extended trips through europe like we would tour and go to different countries and do contests and demos in each place but so he would instead of you know if, you, if a trip's long enough you kind of plan on doing laundry sometime during the trip but Rawlinson would just come to the Senate warehouse and because we had a few clothing companies, actually. We also had 976. Um, we had, you know, we had other brands, medium, supercomputer robot. But so he would just come to the warehouse, a giant warehouse, and he would just take clothes, basically. And he would pick out a different outfit for each day of the trip. Um, and so he would take and also we made bags. So he would take giant, you know, like these giant duffel bags full of clothes. And then this sounds so like wasteful and egregious and obnoxious. But I have a feeling he would just leave this stuff behind, right? So it's, there's no laundry, there's no packing, it's just wear it for a day and then, oh, maybe he throws it out to kids or something. But yeah, people definitely abused kind of the, the generosity of, of us in the Senate warehouse back then. Um, but, you know, th those were 
Those were uh, heady times. Oh, here he is. What? Damn. Calling you really? out. You call what? Out? I didn't know you were watching. <laughs> I didn't know you were watching. Que lo que, it's, all brother. it's all true. It's all true. He never no, washed a pair of pants in his life. A never. new pair for every day. Never. That is true. I like that Yankee hat. It looks like you're uh, Just keeping it real. Keep paying an homage to uh, your hometown. Home city. He's painting. That's that's almost the exact same hat he wore on the Skater magazine cover. It was one of them. Is it yeah. the exact one? What's the resale value right on that? His was right <laughs> on the cover. But he wore that. He wore that hat in one of the skate photos. Um, so talking about Randy Spicer, since we've been talking about him a bit, another bit of news is uh, NFT NYC is coming up in just a couple of weeks, and um, Fluff House uh, is and Fluff House, right, which is kind of the live events arm of the fluff ecosystem they're hosting a party at spin nyc which is a really cool like nightclub uh with table tennis it's sort of the, the premise is that it's it's built around these ping pong tables but it's like it's an adult like nightclub venue so it's just really cool and it's gonna be a lot of fun um and uh drug receipts is gonna be one of the sponsors there we are one of the co-sponsors for this um fluff event uh and i don't know if you guys know this Randy is just so multi-talented, right? I mean, he's uh, it's well established that he is an iconic rollerblader. He's also, you know, a, a well-established uh, fisherman. <laughs> is that what they're called? Fisherman? Yeah, yeah. He's a bass yeah, hunter. Yeah, yeah, he does like uh, he does saltwater calico bass fishing or something sea like that. Bass um, and he, but he has a company, he makes lures, whatever. So he's way into that, but he is also like a super accomplished table tennis player, which sounds like a complete joke, but it is absolutely true. Um, so we are flying Randy out to spin NYC and he is going to be there. And if any of you think you have what it takes to take down the iconic roadhouse, uh, at a game of table tennis, I'm sure that we can put together a pretty nice uh, prize package of something for you. Because honestly, I don't think any of you can do it. This kid is that good. Uh, but the challenge is out there. If you want to show up to this Spin NYC party for NFT NYC, it's going to be on June 20th. Uh, show up there, uh, find Randy at our drug receipts table, and uh, throw down the gauntlet. And if you've got what it takes, then we'll give you something really nice. Make it worth your time. Uh, you will be you will be uh, hailed as a great victor, um, but yeah, so that's really cool. It, it's just so funny that that all these things come together like that. Randy, Randy just randomly happens to be this great table tennis player. <laughs> I Are love you what sure you you're not campaigning for Randy? What's that? <laughs> Are you sure you're not campaigning for Randy? Man, am I his biggest fan or what? It's true. Yeah, this guy actually, I'm his second biggest fan. This guy's the original huge Roadhouse fan. Would I be out of line if I asked you what your uh, rollerblading power rankings are? <laughs> what do you mean? Like where Randy ranks on the list? Randy was the best skater in the world for a long time. Champion. Yeah, Arlo's personal uh, rollerblading power rankings. Arlo was the creator. Uh, Second. She, she. I think she's asking how would we rank them. I don't know. It's hard. Top three. I, I, I do. I do have a. You know, I do kind of have one of those. Well, maybe we'll have to put it together in the uh, Later Blader uh, channel in the Discord. <laughs> Ranked best rollerbladers of all time. Ooh, damn, well, before we, we dive too much into rollerblading, I do want to say while we are on the topic of NFT NYC, 
Uh, I do want to throw in there that not only is the Fluff Social by Fluff House going to be super rad, we're also going to have some incredible DJs there as well. Um, Mika and Mr. Carmack will be DJing the event. So it's going to be super exciting. Awesome house music. Um, come on out. And if, you know, if any snugglers out there want to get in on the guest list, I might have a few spots uh, I can throw you on. So just send me a DM. Let me know. It's true. We actually, as part of our sponsorship, we do have some spots. We, we don't have infinite spots. So definitely, if you're interested in going, if you're going to be in the area, reach out to us, reach out to Jesse, as she said, and we'll make sure that we get you on the list. Uh, it will have to be first come, first serve, but the spots are for our snugglers. So yeah, let us know. Um, so uh, some other drug receipts news. Um, we talked about the, we finally have the forms ready for the special gray skates trait drop to go out, but Something that has already started shipping is the Samuel Lane Gallery's prints. Uh, we had 12 um, NFTs, 12 drug receipts NFTs that we had in the collection. And each one of the NFTs got the uh, the holder that volunteered their NFT to be in the collection and earned them a 30 by 30 inch, super gorgeous, super high quality print of their NFT. So even if their NFT sold, they still get the print. Uh, to have and frame in their home or a place of their choosing. And these prints are just so gorgeous. Um, in fact, they started to make it to the snugglers who owned them. So, and they've been posting them on Twitter. Joel, and I think we have a few of these that we can share. It's just so cool to see them, uh, to see them showing up, you know, in the homes of these drug snugglers. Uh, what we're talking about now are the SLG prints shipped. There we go. So that one, and just to give you a, an idea of the, the scale of these things, that one is laid out on a billiards table, right? And you can see the billiards balls on each of the corners. Um, but how gorgeous that that red wine background on the red billiards table. Um, that And that is one that sold. That's the one that went to Dylan Sprayberry, um, the the uh, star from Teen Wolf and the, the Superman uh, show. Um, but so it's got the Tyler Trait ruby red slippers on the red pool table. And it's just so cool. So cool. Um, I think too, um, the snuggler that submitted this, I don't know if we have it on hand, but he did show a close-up of the grain and you can clearly see the quality uh, of this print up close. I mean, it's just gorgeous. The saturation, uh, the color, the depth, I mean, just beautiful piece and 30 by 30 inches. Uh, I don't know what that is in centimeters. Sorry guys, <laughs> but it is pretty sizable. It's pretty huge. So you know, this is definitely something that, you know, you can hang up above your mantle um, and it just really just captures your eye when you walk into a room. It's just beautiful work. Totally. And you can see in the lower right hand corner, it's it's signed by uh, Tyler and it's signed by me. So both artists have their signatures on it. Um, and this is just you're talking about the quality of the prints, which is beautiful. These are printed by uh, the icon in Los Angeles, which is the same lab where Tyler has all of his fine art prints printed. And, you know, Tyler is one of the most heralded, most collected fine art photographers in the world. So, you know, if he trusts uh, to have his prints made there, that this is high quality stuff. So really, really nice quality on those. Um, Joel, let's go ahead and take a, and that one, by the way, was submitted by Agent Matt um, on Twitter. Let's take a look at uh, another one. I think we've got one from Captain Trips, a cat print. There, there he is. Cool. Hey. Hi, Jesse. Hey, hey, hey. Hi. <laughs> and again, for scale, you can see the sunglasses up on top, and 
what might be a ledger or something oh. dry i don't know i think that's a scale oh yeah it is i think you're right yeah a scale <laughs> what do you no use judgment. a scale for really cool really beautiful and let's that one was uh submitted by captain trips and let's take a look at the third one that we have here from sean s huh so only beautiful. captain trips didn't get a background sorry captain trips but <laughs> but you got to see jesse and i peeking behind your <laughs> your photo but here's here's a really nice one this one actually is pretty nicely coordinated with the background speaking of, speaking of um but we've got rex with the uh the wings and the horns and the broken halo really gorgeous gorgeous um example of a drug receipts nft there and in full 30 by 30 glory really nice thank you guys for sharing those with us after you received them and for those of you, any of you that had a drug receipts NFT in the show, if you haven't received it yet, they are on their way. So be on the lookout. True. I'm excited. <laughs> I don't know. It's just with the holder verification, with the prints going out, with, you know, the special Grayscape's claim out. I mean, this is getting me really excited for the future. Yeah. Let's talk about um, another, I guess, giveaway. Uh, another thing that we are doing to give back to the community that's also been exciting. We teased at the opening of the show with because it's kind of like it's one of our headline uh, bits of news here in the last week, but it's the the RX pattern skins on the Seekers. We had a teaser campaign leading up, up to it, you know, that went with the headline, Not All Who Wander. And then we had it all led up to a, uh, a Twitter campaign contest that we've been running um, Joellen, let's go ahead and load up some of the images to show this uh, Not All Who Wander campaign because it was just, it was really snug and cool the way it came together. And it's just so nice, the symmetry between, you know, the seekers um, who are out there wandering and who are looking for the lost and bringing them back. Um, and we, you know, we sort of built our campaign around not just the RX pattern, but also around um, the knapsack, right. With the, basically the wanderer. Um, so we have this great, uh, headline, not all who wander. It's provocative. And this, by the way, some of the campaign we did was photoshopped, right? We were photoshopping our, our campaign materials onto posters on walls and stuff, but this was not photoshopped. This is a real billboard in Auckland. Uh, and we got our, our billboard up on the, um, uh, we got our digital art up on that billboard. Uh, right there in the center of town. I say center of town, honestly, I have no idea where it is. I mean, it's so far from, from where I live, but I mean, it's just such a cool location. And the, the, even the, you know, the, the shape of the billboard, the way that it curves around the building, it's just really, really dynamic. Um, and it was we so did cool. Get a lot of, yeah, definitely. We got a lot of compliments from, um, you know, Kiwis where this, uh, Billboard is located, I think it's in a, a pretty popular shopping district in uh, Auckland. But uh, one of the things that uh, some, you know, Kiwi snugglers shared with us, oh, isn't that such a cute combination of words, Kiwi snugglers? Our yeah. Kiwi snugglers, uh, you know, definitely applauded us for the location of the billboard. Um, so we we're really stoked that something, you know, so beautiful, so provocative, so attention grabbing was in such an important, you know, part of town. Um, also, Arlo, I do want to say, you know, we got a lot of really good feedback from the community on this campaign, um, just because it was, you know, so fun and so 
clean and so just interesting, you know, and I do want to say we, I think this is some of your, some of my favorite work that you've pumped out just because it's, I, I don't know, it just got me really excited. If I saw this in the street, I would be like, wow, <laughs> what's going on? This is exciting. Um, well, so yeah. So job. Jess, I think, thanks for that. And I think that you're right on. First of all, I'd like to, I'd also like to acknowledge Lumo. You can see the, the pink sign underneath the billboard. That is the billboard company. They're the ones that made this happen. So they were really gracious partners in putting this together. So big props out to Lumo. And they, you know, they have so many cool interactive displays like throughout the city um, that for us, it's a nice resource to have and to know that that's, um, you know, that's something that we can utilize when we do more campaigns like this, because Jesse, you're right, you know, so many of our first activations were events um, and they were all kind of like rapid fire events. As soon as we minted, we had like three events just stacked up right on top of each other. But one of the I mean, we that, minted during South by, you know, exactly. we minted during an event. But one of the things that we really excel at is marketing and coming up with, you know, compelling, provocative, you know, kind of eye catching, mind catching campaigns. And so it was really fun to be able to flex that muscle a little bit in the lead up to uh, the reveal of the seekers skins um, and our giveaway. Uh, so you're right. There definitely will be more of this. And it is this is right in our wheelhouse. Um, Joellen, as we talk about this, let's go ahead and look at some of these other slides from the Not Who, All Who Wander campaign. Now, this one, this is Photoshop, but those are actually Lumo uh, signs, displays. So this is the kind of thing that we could um, actually materialize and, and make reality. Um, but for now, you know, on the short timeline that we had to put this campaign together and to get the socials out there, this one is Photoshop, uh, but not not any less interesting. And honestly, I guess it's the nature of communication these days, right? Where you know we could put those posters up in Auckland, and you know, whatever the number of eyeballs that we could get on it in the physical. Um, in the physical presentation uh, would be dwarfed by the number of eyeballs that see it in our socials. So, um, we, you know, there is still value in having, right, the IRL stuff. There's just no substitute for it. Um, and there's something just really visceral and exciting about seeing something in real life space. Uh, so definitely not making an argument against it. But we got, we definitely got some marketing value over these all the same. Um, Joel, let's and and Jesse, you you kind of were talking about this a little bit, right? But to just the kind of the the graphic nature of this campaign, the simplicity of it, the design of it, there's just something really uh, kind of dramatic and elegant about it, and all within the drug receipts aesthetic. So it was real fun to do. Yeah, definitely. Um, and you know, there's somebody in the Discord brought up a really great point. Um, so the not all who wander campaign was particularly clever in New Zealand because of the Lord of the Rings connection. Um, yeah. I believe it, yeah, I haven't, I'm gonna be honest with you guys and a lot of Kiwis are gonna be upset with me. <laughs> a lot of people are gonna be upset with me, but I have not seen Lord of the Rings. So what? if you guys, yeah, I, yeah, that is a real fact. I have never seen Lord of the Rings. Uh, I oh, look forward to it. And if we should host a community movie night where we go through the Lord of the Rings, um, movies i'm happy to do that if you guys are interested in something like that <laughs> did you play a movie night where we go through the lord of the ring movies yeah like how many are there is it like harry potter where there's like a couple of them 
Or... No, it's a trilogy, but I think they're each like three hours, basically. That's going to be a long night. But yeah, dude, you've got to see them. So how, however it has to happen, <laughs> let's make that happen. They, they yeah, actually definitely. are great. They're really good. Um, well, I John, look forward how, to it. What else do we have? What else do we have here in the slideshow? Yeah, cool. It's just right. So, and the people that are saying, you know, let's crowdfund, let's put together some money and do it. Let's get a real poster campaign up for sure. I mean, I, I don't know if we need to crowdfund it, but absolutely, you know, more stuff like this and more real IRL activations are certainly in order. Yeah, Very it's cool. it's really exciting. And then I think again, Arlo, you know, this is some of my favorite work uh, that you pumped out, and it, and the community also felt, you know the same way too. And we really, I don't know, I think this, uh, correct me if I'm wrong, if I'm out of line for saying this, but this was sort of uh, your first time in a while to really dial in on on some uh, design work. Like, well, you know, to this this extent. I don't know if what I'm saying makes sense. Yeah. Like, I feel like this to me is sort of, reminds me of like the art, the provocative Arlo that, you know, we've known and loved for you know 25 plus years this was just yeah, so, very right, you so it right so it files back under that category of marketing and marketing campaigns so a lot of the i've definitely been doing a lot of design i mean right we did the 10k collection which was there's yeah. a lot of work into that <laughs> we released merchandise lines we had you know we had graphics at blading cup we did the blading cup box i mean there's just, there's been a whole lot of design that's been happening but not I think you were talking about a very specific kind of design that that is marketing, right? That's where you get, that's where you sort of get to incorporate kind of like the subversive kind of more intellectual elements. Um, you get to yeah. tease, you get to build up to something and you're right. This is kind of, this is the, this is the best example of that that we've had so far for drug receipts. And we definitely are looking forward to providing more of it. Um, oh, we will. We will. And we should also pay off or acknowledge the, the Snuggler's good um, detective work on this because King and Niche in particular, I know Bildo and King and Niche um, and some others were uh, were trying to figure it out, you know, what does it all mean? You know, uh, not all who wander. And they were they were kind of placing the pieces together. OK, the the knapsack. Um, but King and Niche, I thought pretty he, he put it all together pretty, pretty succinctly and uh, uh, pretty thoroughly. Uh, the way that he he sussed it all out. So good work there. Um, oh, he's awesome. I do want to give a big shout out to King Anish. He is just one of, you know, one of the uh, my favorite community members just off his ability to, you know, be a detective and he's just a, a great writer and, you know, really, really adds that spice to the community. So shout out to King Anish. Whenever he posted, when he covered, whenever he uh, put the pieces together, I was like, oh, but then I was also like, oh, nailed it. Oh. Nailed it. Well, so Jesse, if you love him so much, why don't you nominate him to the uh, the Senate? Well, maybe I will. Right after maybe this, you should. after I get off of uh, this wonderful podcast, you guys can find me in the Senate, ruminating over some nominations. So, hope you so, guys join me. Jesse, the one of the one of the things that this all culminated in was a giveaway, right? So. We, this was building up to the reveal, the Seeker skins. We already knew that the Seekers had stickers on them. So we have in our company wallet, we have a Seeker that has a, a drug receipt sticker on it that we are putting up to give away to one of our drug snugglers. Actually, let's take a look at the video of this Seeker. Great. Right. 
Right. So super cool, really cool seeker. Uh, it's got the cap rainbow sticker right on the right up front and center. Um, Jesse, tell us a little bit more about what the contest is. How do people get it? I'm sorry. I'm laughing at Top Cat's uh, YouTube comment that just says carrots. He's easy to please. Um, yeah. Okay. First, I do want to say straight up, uh, this is, uh, I guess this is a safe space, but this is not financial advice and I'm not chilling, but uh, the Seekers are truly one of my favorite projects, I think, uh, in the NFL ecosystem so far, just because I love the concept of having, you know, 40,000 Seekers out there that are, you know, really bridging our worlds together. And they're really, really cute. And not to sound biased, but we do have yeah, we do have a couple stickers with drug receipts, and we also have some really cool skin. Uh, we'll get into that in a second. But um, but yeah, guys, to celebrate our uh, partnership uh, with Seekers, we are running a giveaway on Twitter. Just a cool, you know, uh, engagement-based uh, giveaway. Just, you know, tag some friends. Be sure to follow drug receipts and uh, retweet and like our tweet that is pinned on our Twitter, twitter.com slash. Drug receipts, and you too can win a super cute uh, drug receipt seeker, drug receipts sticker trait seeker that you just saw. So really cool, really cool to have in the collection, especially you know considering that our stickers are pretty popular IRL. So um, yeah, guys, go go for it. Very cool. Can't wait to see who gets that. It's a super cool seeker. Um, yeah, definitely. I just, I, I, while we're here, I do want to acknowledge that somebody re uh, recently revealed that their seeker with a drug receipt skin also had these like really cool like star eyes. I don't know who owns that, but you're going to make it. <laughs> so cute. Uh, very cool. Oh, hi, Evie. Hi. Um, so talking about how cute the seekers are, there's actually some really grotesque seekers out there. And that's something that I want to touch on a little bit. <laughs> Uh, because there's another cool, right, related project uh, that came straight out of the uh, the Fluff Thulu lore, right? This is a part of the Fluff lore. Um, but the project is called, and I hope that I say it right, because I've only ever seen it written. Uh, this is a case where I probably should have done a little better research before I just tried to go through the slide. But I think it's OX Thulu, right? Um, mm -hmm. It's just kind of like the, the, the ETH address with the, the Thulu uh, call signal on it. Um, but they've been, you know, they've been making these these grotesque versions of uh, of NFTs from related projects, like you know, uh, like the Seekers and also like drug receipts. So I wanted people have been posting their, you know, their uh, Thulu uh, versions of their NFTs, and they they look really cool. They look insane. They're, I mean, they're they are terrifying, but but they are also amazing at the same time. Um, Joel, let's go ahead and take a look at these. Because words don't quite do them justice. So we were talking about no. how, cute they, how cute the seekers were, but look at how terrifying this is. And you can see this is a uh, this is a fluff that you see the the pills floating around it. I mean, this is looks like it has been uh, drug receded out. Uh, it's been a it's got the altered altered substance. <laughs> that is mind altering. Zero x Thulu. Thank you, Dia. Uh, let's look at the drug receipts ones. Curse. Oh, I love no. it. Yeah. It's so, I mean, this is the stuff of nightmares, you know, and it's, it's funny because the seekers and the drug receipts collections are both so cute, right. In their design. And then this like just makes them so like 
not that, but no less <laughs> captivating, but just in a completely different vein, you know, terrifying. Yeah, it's good. I think it's going to be really exciting. Oh my God. <laughs> King Anish, what happened? What happened to the Red Devil Tabby? She got altered or she's from the, I believe, so I believe these um, actually, these in particular have a name. Um, these are, I believe from the abyss. There's two sides wow. in the um, in the lore. Um, it's the abyss and then there's kinship. But I don't want to speak too, too, too much on that too soon, um, only because on our next community AMA, we are going to have uh, Jacob, the founder of Zero X Zulu, uh, as a special guest on our AMA. <clears throat> so we can further talk about, you know, some of the lore and some of the backstory behind these uh, crazy, crazy looking, um, uh, how do you say, drug receipts and seekers. And yeah, it's, it's really exciting. Their community is really cool. Yeah. And Josh, who, you know, who was our guest earlier, but he's still following along and in the comments, he's saying that he believes these are made with the help of AI as well, which totally makes sense. And is, you know, it's just another demonstration kind of like of the cool things that are possible um, with, you know, with all the technology that that's coming online. So very, very cool representation here, what you can do with art and related projects and AI, I mean, just coming together to, to really do some interesting and innovative things. I love it. Uh, so thanks for that. Um, so I think that honestly, that gets us through all of our updates. Jesse, have we covered yeah. it? Um, special Grace Gate, Holder Verification, Zero X Zulu, Seekers, NFT NYC. Um, we dropped some alpha throughout this um, podcast. So if you can find it, good for you. Um, awesome. Well, Jesse, thank you so much for getting us through our routine checkup. That was a lot of great and exciting news. Thank you. And uh, yeah, it, uh, we'll look forward to seeing you um, at NFT NYC. And hopefully some drug snugglers will be in attendance as well. Um, Guys, that's a lot of content that we've gotten through. We we had a great conversation there with Josh and Morgan from Melt Interactive. We've got through a lot of updates, but I still have one more segment that we're going to get through. So I appreciate you guys, those of you that have hung around. Um, sometimes at the end of our podcast, we like to have devoted skeptical content. We don't always get to it because often we have a whole lot of content that precedes it. And it just makes the uh, the episodes start to get a little long, but we can't neglect it forever. It's important to work it in and to get it in here. So for those of you that uh, that have the stamina and that are willing to stick around, I think that we've got some interesting content for you. And for those of you that uh, can't make it, this is all recorded and you can check out what you missed later. But this is always uh, really interesting and really fun content. Uh, this is Controlled Substance. So in our Discord, we have a devoted skeptical channel. It's called, uh, it's Skepticism. It's our Skepticism channel. And a few weeks back, I said, you know, guys, it would be really fun to pick some kind of a topic together, and we will, uh, we will do a skeptical investigation of it together. Uh, and that way, we can kind of like go through the tools and the skills of skepticism in real time and because we will be working and focused on some, you know, predetermined subject matter together, uh, maybe the tools and the concepts will be more meaningful because we will we will see them in action. Um, and so we we picked the 
topic of 5G because that is fairly topical. Uh, it's something I think where the, the science is not completely clear yet. There's a lot of room for confusion um, or even speculation about what the, uh, the implications of 5G will be. And there are a lot of uh, social and cultural implications to be sure uh, surrounding 5G, but the, the scope of this conversation is really narrowly focused on the medical implications. I think that the, the social and cultural implications are, are consequences are, are different, that it does not really a skeptical discussion. But the, the question of uh, whether or not 5G is safe um, is based on, that, that is a question that can be answered through uh, data, um, through experimentation, um, so through empirical inquiry or investigation. So it, it is a good candidate for skeptical investigation. Um, and 5G, just to be clear, uh, let me shift over to my notes to make sure that uh, that I don't misrepresent anything here. But so 5G is just the uh, um, electromagnetic waves that uh, that link everything together. There have been multiple iterations of 5G, right? So we've had 4G, 3G, all the other um, generations before it. And that's how all of our uh, uh, computers and phones are connected wirelessly, right? And so they use electromagnetic waves to do that. Uh, it now with the, uh, the, this sort of this next generation of technology, the internet of things where everything is going to be connected, not just our phones and our computers, but also our refrigerators, right? Our, our, our TVs, like everything is going to be connected and communicating wirelessly and 5G is sort of a faster, better version of what we've had before, which will help to facilitate all that data transfer wirelessly. So the concern is with all these new 5G towers going up and you know, with the, this uh, new surge in electromagnetic um, waves is what are the implications? What are the ramific ramifications of that? Um, for a long time, there has been sort of fear mongering around the concept that, hey, maybe these uh, you know, electromagnetic waves are cancerous. You know, we hold the, for a long time, we've held cell phones next to our heads. Uh, certainly this can't be good for our brains, right? To have this sort of all this uh, radiation, this electromagnetic uh, radiation around our, our heads. Um, the phones get hot. Like what's happening to our brains? Are our brains being cooked? And so all kinds of kind of like, folk thinking has kind of cropped up around this sort of this scary notion that maybe something bad or dangerous is happening. And then especially, honestly, what's happening with 5G happens with every new generation of this, uh, of these electromagnetic waves. Um, it happened with 4G, happened with 3G. And so now also it's happening with 5G. Uh, 5G just happens to be coming along at a time where our means of communication and of disseminating ideas, whether they be good or bad, uh, is just better than it's ever been. So, right, we're talking about social media here in particular. Um, but it's just, if you have a bad idea, um, this is a really good time to get it out because it will reach far and wide. But so what I did that's kind of reckless is after we selected this topic, 5G, um, said that we would, you know, we would get together in our skeptic channel in the Discord and we would talk about it and we would explore it together. And what I thought to kick it off was I directed people to a paper um, by a professor at the University of California at Berkeley, right? Fine, uh, re reputable um, university. Uh, the professor uh, there, he's a faculty member of the Department of Public Health um, at the university. So 
writes, uh, very well qualified uh, to comment on this. He's a professor um, at, a, at a credible university. He is a faculty on a Department of Public Health. Um, so this sounds like the kind of resource that we could trust and that, um, that we could look to when uh, trying to get, gain some insight into this, this question of whether or not um, 5G is safe. Uh, and so the paper that I directed people to um, actually cited um, studies that, uh, did I mention his name? Joel, Joel Moskowitz is the professor that we're talking about here at UC Berkeley. And he authored a paper um, along with um, four uh, South Korean um, researchers. And the paper claimed that 5G is in fact not safe. And I wanna talk a little bit about this research and how they came to this conclusion. And when I said that it was reckless me posting this thing on our channel, on our Discord server, is because I never followed up on it to give any additional input or insight. I just sort of left it out there for people to consume in their own way and to make kind of their own impressions or make their own opinion of it. But I, you know, I never really offered any of the, um, the guidelines or the guardrails that were kind of promised as we as we decided to undertake this endeavor. So I'm going to do that now. Now we'll give a little bit of insight on this 5G discussion. So what they did was a uh, was what's called a case control uh, study, and what that means is it's a, it's a good way for looking at uh, the long term effects of things. Basically, with a case control study, is you you take you know large reams of data that has you know been gathered over a long period of time and then you look for you look for trends you look for causal relationships um, and a good example of this would be something like you know smoking right when we wanted to find out if smoking was related to cancer for instance well there are you know you can take a look back at you know years of data people who've had um uh, who've experienced lung cancer, who were afflicted with lung cancer. And then you can compare it against, you know, uh, data related to rates of smoking, right? Or populations, um, smoking populations and things like that. And, and try to see if there's any correlation between the two things. And with, if you have enough data and if you're able to control it uh, reasonably well, then you will start to, you will start to see the patterns. And so in that way we learned, right, that, or we saw indications that smoking was causally related to cancer. Same thing with air pollution to asthma, right? Or uh, polluted water to, um, or contaminated water to malaria. Uh, so case control research is good for answering those kinds of questions. And so let's not just limit it to 5G at this point, because obviously 5G has not been uh, widely adopted for a long enough time, but we can investigate what, you know, just sort of wider, more general cell phone use, wireless electromagnetic waves, over a longer period of time, because we have something like 25 years of data um, to look back at on that. So in that way, it seems like this would be a good candidate for a case controlled study. And maybe it is. So let's take a look at the study that uh, Moskowitz did with his partners. Actually, before I do that, I want to read you something here that I have uh, from Moskowitz himself. So just to make sure that I have accurate, accurately represented kind of his position on this. But he wrote, the telecommunications industry and their experts have accused many scientists who have researched the effects of cell phone radiation of fear-mongering over the advent of wireless technologies 5G. It is our ethical responsibility to inform the public 
about what the peer-reviewed scientific literature tells us about the health risk from wireless radiation. Right? This is important because what you know, all the things that we would advise you as skeptics, right, is, is look for credible sources. So he's a professor at UC Berkeley. That is a credible source. Um, go to the research. Look at the research. This is a peer-reviewed study. Um, uh, uh, by all appearances, it seems to be um, an appropriate design using the, the case-controlled study. Um, so what's the problem here? Well, why do I think that there's a problem? So before I get into the, the actual methodology of Moskowitz's um, design here of his experiment, I mean, of his study, let's talk about the, uh, what we do know about um, wireless um, radiation. So there are, there's lots of data about historical uh, trends, right? Related to cell phone um, technology, because cell phones have been in use since the eighties. And in that time, we have lots of data related to uh, occurrences of cancer. And there have been no, there's not been a corresponding um, uptick or upward trend in the um, cases of cancer um, in the last 25 years since cell phones have come onto the scene. So what you would expect if there was some correlation between cell phone usage and cancer, that you would start, you would see a spike or a, a, uh, a positive trend, a, a rising trend in the instances of um, cancer, but you don't see that. If you look at the, if you look at the data, if you look at the trends, the cases of cancer have stayed steady at about, you know, somewhere between six or seven cases per hundred thousand in the last, you know, per year for the last twenty years or so. Um, while if you can imagine the last, you know, since the eighties the amount of cell phone usage, you know, would look like, you know, like this would look skyrocketing because uh, that thing has just exploded, you know, exponentially. Um, but again, there, there's no correlation between the two. You see the exploding use in cell phone, uh, but the, the instances of cancer stay steady. So that is one indication that, that doesn't add up to, to Moskowitz's concerns. Another is the actual biochemistry of the whole thing. And this is something that Dia started looking into in the skeptical channel. But unlike uh, x-rays um, and other radioactive emissions, which are ionizing, and this is important. So an ionizing radiation, radiation, what that means is it's actually, it's capable of stripping um, electrons from the atoms, right? Or the molecules. Um, and so that can be dangerous and destructive, right? To humans, to the human body. Uh, but importantly, the radiation from wireless devices is non-ionizing. It's not the kind of radiation that strips can strip um, uh, can strip electrons from atoms. So it is not the same kind of radiation uh, that is detrimental to humans. So in that way, it, you know, it, it is it is seen as and has been demonstrated to be harmless to humans, right? So that those are a couple of things that should you know that that should indicate that um, what Joel Moskowitz is suggesting here doesn't match with what we know about 5G technology. So there better be some pretty good evidence here that he's pointing to um, for, you know, to justify this cause for alarm, which goes against kind of our, our best scientific understanding of what's happening. And by the way, you know, I said that uh, 5G technology, the, the electromagnetic waves that are utilized in 5G technology, it's non-ionizing um, radiation. But so far as we know, there is no other biological mechanism that, that could cause harm from that form of radiation. 
Uh, none has been offered or suggested or proposed, and certainly none has ever been witnessed or demonstrated. Uh, so if there is some um, harm that is coming from 5G radiation, as Moskowitz contends, then someone will also have to come up with what the mechanism could be that's causing it. Because as of now, there is not even a suggested plausible mechanism that could be the culprit here. Um, but so let's take a look at this case control research design. Um, so case control looks backwards in time, right? We said if you've got if you've got years of uh, um, data to look at uh, related to smokers, and you can go in and look at that data and look for causal relationships and look for trends. So with the Moskowitz trial, what they did is instead of taking a large uh, cohort of data, um, they asked for volunteers. Um, so right out of the gate, uh, they run into uh, a problem with um, selection bias. So that the people who are responding uh, to this call for, you know, they might put out uh, questionnaires or open calls for people who have cancer, right? They, they want them to be a part of a, a survey. Um, so already you are uh, selecting for, or you're, you're introducing a selection bias for people who might be inclined to uh, sign up for a study about cancer, right? These might be people who are um, already have doubts or concerns about how they may have um, contracted the cancer. Um, this is very different than a randomized sample, uh, a randomized sampling um, which you would get if, if people don't know upfront why they are included in the study. So if you, if you look back on uh, a lot of data of people who are smoking, the, peop the data that you're looking at, you haven't, you haven't um, artificially constrained the, uh, the people that you're looking at uh, by letting them self-select. Um, it is a randomized collection of data. So in this way, a, a, a significant problem is already introduced where they are letting, they have introduced selection bias by asking for people to sign up for the study. Another serious methodological flaw in this study was that they also asked people to self-report. Um, so that means in the surveys, they would ask them, you know, how much do you smoke, for instance? So again, this is different than uh, take, you know, taking reams of research and, you know, it's already been uh, divided. You know, uh, I actually have a really good example of a, a good case control um, study that we can look at for uh, comparison. Um, so in Bavaria, right, uh, they did this great study. Um, there were some concerns, uh, not just in Bavaria, but there was sort of this general concern that maybe multiple sclerosis is associated with um, vaccines in some way. Uh, maybe the, you know, whatever, whatever vaccines were being uh, exposed to, maybe in some way that was increasing the a likelihood that they would uh, develop multiple sclerosis. Um, so in Bavaria, they came up with a very good um, case control study, um, a very well-designed one. And this was published in 2019. But what they did was they made use of a uh, health insurance database, right? And it already included detailed vaccination records of 223,000 Germans um, living in Bavaria, in, in Bavaria. So this giant, giant sample size, right? 223,000. Uh, but it already had their vaccination records, right? So it wasn't, it, you didn't have to go and ask anyone about what vaccines they had or anything like that. There was no self-reporting here. They, all the data was detailed and already existed, 
so in that way, you're not uh, introducing like a self-reporting bias. Also, they had um, the statistics of what people had MS, right? So you take this, you know, you take this known set of people that have MS and you can, you can compare it against uh, the detailed vaccination records. And, and then you take that set and you compare it against a, a, a control group, basically a health, uh, healthy group and compare it with their detailed vaccination records. And in that way, you can see if there's any difference between the two groups, right? You've got the control healthy group. Um, and then you've got this, uh, the, the experimental population with the, uh, that had contracted MS. And what happened is that there was no connection found um, between the two groups. So there was no evidence for the hypothesis that the, uh, the vaccines contributed to, to the onset of MS. But what, the reason we're talking about this is this is a, a clean experimental design in terms of the methodology, because you don't introduce selection bias because you're taking these two giant data sets that already exist and that are already detailed. You're not, you know, you're not asking one to, to volunteer for anything. And there's no self-reporting because you're just looking at the data as it's already presented, as it's already been recorded. You know who has MS, you know who has the vaccines, you know specifically what vaccines they got. Um, hopefully now you're starting to see the, the, the problem here or the problem with introducing these biases like the, the self-reporting bias and the, um, the, the, um, the selection bias. When you ask people in a survey, which is already about cancer, they know that they're talking about their cancer. And if you ask them, uh, you know, about their behaviors that could have led to the cancer, even if you don't say we're asking because we want to know what might have caused your cancer, but you're like, oh, can you describe your cell phone use, you know, over the last, you know, 20 years or, uh, you know, what, uh, what kinds of, can you describe your diet over the last 20 years? It's clear to the people why they're answering these questions. And especially in this context, when you start thinking about, oh, yeah, you know, I've always had this like this nagging feeling that the reason I got my brain cancer was because I was all, always on my cell phone, you know, because I worked in the, you know, I worked in the uh, uh, stock exchange and I was constantly on my phone and I always, you know, and I could feel my phone getting, you know, hot in my hand and hot against my head. And I just know that that probably had something to do with my uh, my uh, my brain cancer. And so you can see how that kind of thinking would definitely influence their self-reporting. And so they might exaggerate the amount of, of phone use that they used. Um, certainly it contaminates the, uh, the, the data set. It contaminates this pool of data. So, and by the way, this is, you know, it's not just a critique of this um, study that Moskowitz put together here with his team. This is case control study, like 101, like any, any course or textbook teaching, you know, best practices for a case control study would say, you know, would talk uh, right off the bat about um, confirmation bias. I mean, not about confirmation, but about selection bias um, and about self-reporting, that those are big no-nos, big red flags. You, you don't want, you, you, you don't want to include those in this kind of um, design. So that's a big problem for, for, uh, for this uh, study that Moskowitz has presented. What would be a better um, experimental design to explore 5G? Because it just so happens that there are some really good ones. So there, in, in contrast to the, uh, the case control study, there's another kind of study called a prospective cohort study, which is kind of nice and, and gets around some of these problems that have where, you know, you're relying on people to self-report. Um, and, you know, you've got the selection bias where the people that are being selected already know that they have cancer. They already know that it is a, a study related to cancer. So there's all kinds of expectations and preconceptions that come into it. But what if instead of asking these people to come in and look back and report 
um, on their, their history. You put together a group um, before anything has happened. You just take a big group of people, all healthy so far as you know, and then you follow them longitudinally um, for a period of time, you know, for years or decades. Um, and then, you know, you check in with them periodically, but instead of coming in with any preconceived notions or expectations about what the study's about, you get to observe and watch for a whole, you know, a whole uh, slate um, of, of developments. So that eliminates the selection bias. So there've been a couple of studies that were done like this, and in particular related to uh, cell phone um, technology. So in 1968, there was a study, well, there was a registry set up in Denmark uh, to track health um, and other kinds of information about the residents. Um, and uh, this was in 1968, right? So we, we talk about a, a long study, right? So this, there's a lot of data here available. But so this group was set up, um, the registry was set up in, in 1968. And through this registry, they were able to follow 358,000 uh, people who subscribe to cell phone service, right? Um, and out of these 358,000 people that subscribe to cell phone service that are in this registry, um, they also have, you know, they can take another randomized sample of people that never signed up for cell, cell phone subscription. So they have a, con a control group, right? A group of people random randomly se selected, did not sign up for any study, but that we know did not sign up for cell, cell phone service uh, compared against this other randomly selected group of 358,000 people who did um, sign up for cell phone service. And so during the 25 years between 1982 and 2007, um, after our cell phones were introduced in Denmark, the studies found no, no increase in the rates of nervous system tumors among the, the cell phone subscribers um, compared to the, the control group. So this study, again, this is in direct contradiction to the findings of Moskowitz's study. So you have to wonder, as you look at these two things, as you compare these two, two studies uh, against one each other, because the, the results are so um, diametrically opposed or so strikingly different, uh, what could account for that difference? And I think that we pointed out a couple of things. There, there have to be um, some serious methodological flaws in one of the um, one of the designs of these studies, and we've identified a couple of the serious flaws in Moskowitz's study that could lead to these really skewed results. Um, just as one more little bit of uh, evidence to make this point, but Great Britain also did a a million woman study, so they were able to track the incidence of brain cancer in 800,000 middle-aged women, you know, very similar type study where you take this cohort group, you start tracking them right very early on with, with no suggestion of what the, you know, what you're looking to find It's just you, once you have this cohort established, then, you know, uh, years later, you can look back at how many um, signed up for cell phone service. But again, in this, uh, in this separate prospective cohort study, uh, there was no association uh, there, there was no association found between cell phone usage and disease or brain tumors. So what all of that adds up to is, you know, despite it, it, the reason this is a talk about skepticism is because here you have a study presented by a reputable, credible um, author. Uh, you have this professor at UC Berkeley uh, or UC California at Berkeley. Um, it's a peer-reviewed study. Um, and the, you know, it seems to be an appropriate design 
with the case control study. But this is why you have to really dig into the research. So in some cases, we always say, go in and look at the research yourself, right? Go to original sources. Um, that's not always possible. And for most of us, even if we do go in and, and read the research, we won't know enough to know what were the red flags in here. Uh, but so that's why we always look to other, you know, we look for critiques that this is the nature of peer review. So when Moskowitz says this is a peer reviewed study, um, yes, that's true, but that's not telling the whole story. We need to know what the peer review discovered, what was revealed, what, what, what were the criticisms of this paper? And the criticisms were severe um, and damning. Uh, there were major methodological flaws in Moskowitz's study. So the lesson to be learned here is that it's not enough. You know, even when we are doing our due diligence as skeptics, we're checking the credentials, we're looking for a good peer-reviewed study, all these things. Um, none of those things on their own are enough. We are always looking for critiques. Do your research. Do your own due diligence. Take the time to find out what else is out there. Uh, read the the critiques, and then and don't stop there. Once we read the cr critiques, we have an opportunity to see what how Moskowitz has responded to those criticisms. But what will happen as you go through that process is you will start to see patterns. Um, you will start to you know there will be a point where uh, someone who runs out of evidence um, to support their hypothesis they will start resorting to uh, um, to sort of distracting measures right? Uh, it will turn into personal attacks. They will start saying things like, you know, uh, that the, the evidence or that the people uh, critiquing this paper write their shills for the big corporations that have a vested interest in 5G technology, right? Uh, you know, so it gets, sort of gets into ad hominem, ad hominem attacks, right? Name calling. Um, and you'll see all kinds of techniques and tactics like that. But usually if you can follow the trails of evidence and of good reporting and of good analysis as far as it will go, then you will end up having a pretty good sense of what the evidence says uh, when all has been uh, factored in and evaluated and weighed. Um, so there you go, a pretty interesting deep dive on 5G. If it's not clear, the consensus is that 5G is safe, right? Uh, you know, the even, even if uh, we set aside Moskowitz's study, right, the general consensus, right, it, it, it's not... Uh, ionizing radiation. Uh, there have been no uh, statistical significant increases in incidences of cancer. Uh, there's really just no there there. There's no cause for alarm. Um, and then even Moskowitz has kind of invented um, uh, manufactured critique or paper or study. Uh, once you look into it, there's really, it sort of crumbles under scrutiny. So this I think has been a very valuable exercise in skepticism. I think it kind of demonstrates the power and the value of skepticism to really get in and critically um, analyze something. Uh, and I know that we've gone on kind of long here this evening, but I hope that it's been worth your time. I certainly uh, get energized and, and get a lot out of these uh, skeptical talks. And you know, it is an, an important pillar of drug receipts, science and skepticism. And I think that it is real easy because so much of, you know, our day-to-day -day activities are focused on, you know, the next release, the next trade drop, you know, the next event. And so that creates a lot of uh, excitement, but also a lot of gravity that sucks sort of all of our attention um, toward it. Um, it's important to also keep in mind that sort of the deeper things that we offer with drug receipts. If this really is 
uh, one of the things that makes this project special. It's one of the things that makes our community special. Uh, I've seen other communities commenting on it. You know, they love when people from drug receipts come in and ask intelligent questions. Uh, when we turn our skeptical eye uh, to other matters, to other projects. So snugglers, drug snugglers, keep doing what you do. Um, keep training and honing your skeptical skills uh, because these really are the most valuable skills you will ever acquire in your life. They will serve us all well, well in the metaverse once we get there. So this has been a fun one. Love the conversation with Melta Interactive. Big thanks to Josh and Morgan for coming in and sharing their, their vast knowledge with us. We learned so much. Um, really cool what they're doing. Thanks to all of you for being a part of this. Thanks, Jesse, for uh, sharing her insights and getting us up to date on all the latest news in our Snuggleverse. And uh, thanks to Joellen. Uh, thanks to all of our meds. Um, for keeping this thing organized and on track and for all of the work that goes on behind the scenes. And thanks, most importantly, to all of you drug snugglers for uh, being the kind of the, the heartbeat of this entire endeavor, right? You guys, you guys beat the life uh, into this thing. Um, you keep everything flowing and we can't wait to have, um, we can't wait to have this, the Senate up and running so we have really a formal line of communication with our drug snugglers. Besides the always constantly ongoing communication in our Discord. If you're not in the Discord yet, join us in the Discord. If you've enjoyed the content you've seen here, then smash the like button. Um, subscribe if you haven't subscribed already. If you're listening on an audio podcast, check out uh, the stream here on YouTube because there's a, I'm sure you've noticed there's a lot of great visual content provided by Melt Interactive. Thank you all just making sure I'm not forgetting anything. It's been a fun one. We'll see you in the Discord uh, for continued conversation. Uh, love you all, drug snugglers. Um, until next time, keep snuggling. Good night. Mm -hmm.